Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Embiid has a chance at 20 boards tonight. That's number 17 already. Still in the third. Embiid left alone. 21 and counting now for Joel Embiid. It can improve to 33 and 22 on the year. Pass down low to Embiid. Finishing with the left hand. Well, thank you, Kate Scott. And yes, that was Joel Embiid last night in South Philadelphia. In a night where he wasn't particularly sharp. Just 8 for 25 shots. Uh, but still, 25 points, didn't get those 20 rebounds, but got 19-5 blocks, and the Sixers roll over the Oklahoma City Thunder. Good with it. By the way, Ray Dinger, Sixers undefeated since the Harden trade. That's true. There you, there you <laughs> go. Good morning, Ray. How are you? Morning, Glenn. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Doing great. Feeling good. Feeling happy. Uh, and that is part of the story today. Uh, it has been a big week. And because of that, we're, uh, Ray and I are going to hold off our usual chapter of Tell Us Your Story, scheduled to run at noon, because, well, we got something special at noon. Ray, I'll, I'll let you put this one on the – I'll put it on the T. I'll let you one drive this out. Um, yeah, well, ho- hopefully at noon we're going to be talking to Dick Vermeil, uh, the uh, newest addition to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And uh, anyone who saw the award ceremony uh, on Friday night uh, – you understood what a you know what a great achievement and what an emotional moment it was for Dick. Uh, obviously, a lifetime dedicated to football, and uh, no one I know loves the game more than he does, and no one could possibly appreciate this honor more than he will. So um, I I was really really happy for him, and uh, I reached out to him and asked, look, I know you got a, a million and one things going on right now, but uh, could you make time for us on Saturday? And he said that he would. Yeah, it's great. Great. So we're looking forward to that at 12. Do a little Super Bowl preview as well. Uh, Philadelphia Inquirer Sixers beat guy Keith Pompey will join us at 11. And, of course, the huge story breaks early Thursday afternoon. The Nets trade James Harden to the Sixers for Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, a couple future first-round picks. Sixers also get Paul Millsap. Uh, And uh, I think that's it. Okay. Ray, your initial thoughts. Uh, thank God it's over. <laughs> yeah. That was dumb. I mean, you you it asked was my the initial... longest soap opera going on. Yeah, I mean, sure. you asked my initial thought. My initial yeah. thought was thank God it's over. I'm I am I am beyond weary of talking about Ben Simmons. So thankfully as of uh, as of Thursday at noon, uh, he becomes somebody else's he becomes somebody else's headache and somebody else's topic of discussion. All right, here's my thoughts. 
I think short term, this is very good for the Sixers. They are, you know, I didn't check this morning. Heading into yesterday, they were two and a half games out in the East. Uh, despite getting absolutely zero production from the guy who was supposed to be their second best player this year, they desperately needed another guard. You heard Doc Rivers talk the other day about that. Harden is that guy. He's Even with everything going on this year, he is second in the NBA in assists. Uh, to say he's a good scorer, uh, who can make his own make his own shot, is an understatement. Um, and now you have you have him. You have uh, obviously you have Embiid, which gives you a great one-two punch. You have Maxi, who can also help as a playmaker in the backcourt, run the offense, dribble, drive, score. Um, and you've given the MVP Joel Embiid somebody else to play with. Somebody run the pick and roll. So many things you can do with him. He immediately becomes the most dangerous, skilled perimeter score that Embiid has ever played with. Um, he's going to have to learn to defer to Embiid on the court, which will be interesting to see. It may take time to work all of this out. But, Ray, he's James Harden, for God's sakes. And the Sixers have never filled the gap that, that, that was created when Jimmy Butler left town. And I think this really gives them the opportunity to do all that. Yeah, well, it's just you know, it's just refreshing to see them make the move and concede that they're going for it. You know, um, I mean, that's clearly what this is. I mean, you said short term; it's exactly what this is. Um, over time, you'll probably you know you'll probably come away with this saying that the Nets got the better of it. You know, because they've got younger players and uh, they've got the draft picks, and so they're you know they're looking down the road. Um, the Sixers are trying to win right now, which, listen, if I were in their place, I'd probably do the same thing. I mean, you got Joel Embiid is having just a tremendous year, probably the best year he'll ever have. I mean, this is, he's, he's at his apex. He's at his physical peak right now. Uh, he's dominating the league. He is clearly the MVP. And the way you were set up before, you weren't going to win the championship this year, but adding James Harden, now you got a chance, you know, and it's a, it's a short term proposition, but it's better than what you had. And, and I still don't know what to make of the East. I really don't. I, I, yeah, I look at Milwaukee to me as kind of the sleeping giant. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, they're, they're still, I think they're still the best team. Uh, and I think that once they kind of, you know, rub the sleep out of their eyes and get to the postseason and decide, oh, yeah, now, okay, now it's time to play, they'll, they'll once again prove that they're the best team. But at least now you can play with them. And, uh, uh, and, Harden, and, Harden, gives you, and Harden gives you that opportunity. So, yeah, I mean, it made perfect sense all along. Um, I give a lot of credit to Daryl Morey. I mean, he, you know, he hung on and he hung on and he hung on and threw a lot of criticism and a lot of second guessing and a lot of carping and people saying, just be done with it. Just get rid of him. And, and listen, I was one of the people that said that. But he, you know, he played this one like an old, like an old savvy poker player and just figured that came, the closer it came to the deadline, closer it got to the 11th hour there was going to be an opportunity to make the trade that he really wanted to make, and he made it. So now it's a matter of getting James Harden well, getting him on the floor, and now it's up to Doc Rivers to put the whole thing together. Yeah, a lot of pressure shifts to Doc immediately, right? You're, you're, now, you're now the coach of a team that's got a real opportunity, and we will find out how well Doc can coach it. 215-592-9494. We really do want to hear some opinions today. It's There has been, from my uh, monitoring of the station, a, a, a real divisive reaction to this thing, which is fine, which is good, which kind of makes it fun. And you said something um, that I agree with. I, I want to take it a little further, which is um, 
short-term, long-term on this deal. And listen, the whole point, as you said, is they're going for it now, and I applaud them for that. This could end with a title. It has been 39 years, if you're counting, since they've won a title. They haven't been in the NBA Finals since, what was that? It was 2000, right, with Iverson? Right. That's that's a couple generations ago. Mm-hmm. So if we get the parade, and this is the best opportunity to get the parade, anything that happens down the road doesn't matter. I agree. You, yeah, yeah no, and I think that's I think that's how most of the fans will feel. I mean, down the road, you know, down the road, the Nets will have more to show for this than than the Sixers do down the road because you know Harden. How much longer does he really have? But if you win, if if this deal puts you over the top and you win a championship. You know, I'll worry about that when I worry about that. I'm I'm so tired of the process, and, you know, we're going to lose for 10 years because in 10 years we'll have a chance to win. <laughs> yeah, enough, enough, this enough. This is the chance. Enough, enough, enough. Now, now you've made a move that gives you a chance to win right now, and I applaud them for that. Okay, but the unspoken. Well, I don't know about unspoken, but let's speak it. There is also a very good chance that two years from now this just ends ugly, Right. There is certainly a chance that we will, well, for, let, me, let me say this. There is no doubt that we will justifiably roast Ben Simmons now and for eternity. Mm-hmm. But let's not pretend we don't know what James Harden is and what he's done before. This is the second time in just a little over a year that James Harden jumped up and down and stomped his feet like a two-year-old, which is tough to do with a bad hamstring to get his way and to quit on a situation that he didn't like. He he forced his way onto a team where he can join another superstar and a title contender. That's what he did when he pushed his way out of Houston to go to, to uh, the Nets. And he gets a payday, although I'm not quite sure. I've read conflicting reports. Did he opt into his $47 million contract for next year or not? But whatever. He's going to get paid. And he pushed his way out. So James Harden is no is no shining knight in this story. And I hope it all pays off. And as you said, all praise to Daryl Morey, who held patient. We'll get into that a little bit more down the road. But James James Harden could very well do this again here in another 13 months, right? Sure. Yeah. And um, I I don't want to I don't want to pretend that's not happening. And Ray, if if you take a step back. And I don't want to go too deep into this, but I do want to get it out. The NBA is just is a mess. You have, in this case, two guys, one from each team, who just kind of quit on their franchise uh, and got exactly what they wanted in the end. Um, how am I supposed to get emotionally invested in that? How am I supposed to think, oh, this is all great, when basically what you have is a league where Guys, if you're good enough, can just kind of stomp around and quit and feign illness and feign mental illness and end up getting what you want. It's, I don't know. It's a disturbing thing about the NBA to me. I'm all in for the Sixers. I'm going to be watching all those games. I'm going to be rooting for it. I think it has the opportunity to go really well. But you can't hide what the NBA really is, which is just a league of – prima donnas who get what they want uh and the other thing with harden and i know i'm going to sound way more negative on this than i than i want to and then i believe overall what kind of shape is he going to be in when he's 37 38 years old james harden yeah he's not going to be playing yeah he's not he's not gonna be playing here no yeah 
He's he's going to be out of the league in about another two or three years. Right. Okay. But you know that. I know. I'm just getting it in. As I said, I love the trade for now, but I can almost guarantee you that it is going to end ugly. Oh, sure. I, like I told you when we were talking beforehand, I mean, this is Thelma and Louise. You know? <laughs> I mean, you're in the car. For those who don't know what that means, just give a quick, like, how that movie ends. It, it ends with uh, Gina Davis and, Sarah, and Susan Sarandon. Uh, speeding down the highway in a convertible, and they've had a wonderful time. They've had a lot of laughs out on the road. It's been, you know, the ultimate woman's buddy movie. Uh, but now they're being pursued by the cops, and they're boxed in, and they got nowhere to go. So they just, Susan Sarandon just puts the pedal to the floor, and over the cliff they go. Right. And so that's what you <laughs> got else. here. I mean, you're this, you know, but that's, if you win the championship, who cares? Yeah. You yeah, know? I agree. I mean, it's, I it's kind of like, you know, listen, Thelma and Louise had some fun, too. You know, they went off, wound up going off the cliff, but in the process, they had a, they had a lot of fun, yeah. and maybe that's what you got here. But the the idea is, if you're if you're going to try and maximize what you have in Joel Embiid and and the, this tremendous season that he's got right now, you want to you want to take this as far as you can take it. And this trade gives you the opportunity to, you know, I don't know that I don't know that you can say that this makes them the favorite in the East. Um, you know, because we still don't know exactly how healthy Harden is. And, you know, his, if you look at his stats this year, they, they definitely show a regression. Yeah. But, you know, maybe playing with Embiid and giving a, a new, new, new set of teammates and a, maybe perhaps a better opportunity and a better pathway to the championship, maybe he becomes the James Harden we've known, we've seen before. Uh, but if that's the case, I'm in. You know, I'm in. And like you, you know, I've, you know, I think I think they got a shot. I wouldn't say they're the favorites, but I think they got a real shot. And if they win the championship, then guess what? What happens after this almost doesn't matter. I mean, more Daryl Morey's playing this for a championship opportunity right now, and I think he played it just about right. By the way, here's your odds in the East out of Vegas just uh, yesterday. Uh, the Nets were four to one. They dropped to five to one, but they're still the favorite. Uh, Milwaukee seven to one, and the Sixers also seven to one. So, yeah, the Sixers are right in there. Right. And, by the way, I wouldn't bet on the Nets. Oh, no. I wouldn't. I, that, that stuff, I, I have no reason to believe that's going to work. No. I mean, they, they went for it. They're, they're going for it was last year. And, you, you know, when they put the big three together, and they thought that that was, that was what was going to win a championship for them, and you saw how that ended. But yeah, everything you said about what the state of the NBA now, I agree with it 100%. I mean, I don't like the way they do business in the NBA now. I don't like the way the players run the league, which they clearly do. Um, but you know, the fact of the matter is that's, that's what pro basketball is now. It's not unique to this franchise. I mean, that's the state of the league and I'm not applauding it, but okay, if this is the world you're going to live in, then give yourself the best chance to win in it. And that's what the Sixers have done. Yeah. And I'm not always opposed to players running the league when the players act mature and responsible, but when the, the way to move in the league is to cry and whine and say, I'm hurt and do all that. And then you get what you want. That's the part of the players running the league. I don't love. 215-592-9494. By the way, best caller of the day, as judged by our producer, Dan Wilson, who has very high standards, gets a $50 gift card to Shy Vintage Sports, where there is a story in every stitch. Check out their throwback apparel at their Center City location or shibesports.com. Let's work in a call or two here. Fred in the Northeast has some thoughts on the trade. What do you think, Fred? I thought the trade was great. Uh, I think that a lot of people... Something my mom used to always say is a bird in the hand is worth better than two in the bush. We know what we had with Ben Simmons. We had nothing. And I think the biggest issue a lot of people have is us giving up the two first-rounders. We don't know what these first-rounders would be, and we definitely know this year this first-rounder is going to be a very, very late first-rounder. 
but we know what we got in Thibault and Maxi. So us not losing them, I think that was the best part of the trade and then picking up Millsap. If Harden Harden go, to get a Harden in place of a Ben Simmons, I think that was the best option available. We had nothing with Ben Simmons, and now we can see what we have with Harden. I think he also gets a bad break leaving Nets because that was never going to work with Kyrie. He came into a team where he was traded from Houston, so obviously Houston got the best they could from the best available option out there. He didn't want to be over there with Kyrie. I mean, he probably would, wouldn't have mind. Well, he did, he did at the open. beginning. He, he did at the start. Um, but but let me back up, day, because so. I, I agree with most of what you said, and, and Ray and I, neither Ray nor I mentioned this, but the fact that um, Maury was able to pull off this trade without losing Maxi or Thibault was was impressive and listen i really like seth curry and i'm going to miss him and you know you lose your only backup center and that's got to be filled in but it was it was good value it, it was great value and and we all knew that we had nothing and i heard you say that you know this could end very badly but it can end no worse and get no uglier than it just did with simmons i don't think it could get any uglier than what it did with simmons so I think that we put ourselves in a great position with these next two years to really go for it. And if it doesn't work, at least we had the general manager that tried. We we had someone that actually tried in one of our franchises because for a lot of years, no one has been trying. The process has taken down 10 years, and we're finally here, and we're finally trying. I, I'm happy with the trade. I'm happy that we're, the city is excited. I think a lot of us, are, it's hard for us to be optim, optimistic because of our history here in the city, but I'm very happy. I can't wait for March 10th when the next come because I'll be doing my best to get front row seats within my budget and, and Bruce Simmons. I, I'm very excited. I'm happy for this team. We're, yeah. we're winning uh, no, still with and without them. So, oh, I mean, yeah. I think yeah. the city should be very happy where we are. We got the best for our buck, and, and I think people should just sit back and allow us to flourish. Hey, was, hey Fred, I got, got news. That was a great first call. You set the standard for the day. Our producer, Dan Wilson, is going to – already he's got one in the bag. Ray, anything you said you want to agree or – I mean, that was a really yeah, good call. That was re- it was really good, and I think he I think he speaks for not all the fans, but I think the majority of the fans. I think most of the people are on board with this trade. I mean, how could you not be? And, you know, what he said and you seconded, and I agree with you wholeheartedly, is I really didn't think they would be able to pull this trade off without parting with either Thibel or Maxie. I thought they would certainly be part of it, and I didn't want to do that. I really didn't want to lose either of those guys. So the fact that you were able to make this trade without losing one of those guys I thought was a plus. And, yeah, I mean, it's – why not go for it? You know, why not go for it? And I think that, uh, you know, I'm, I think everybody now knows March the 10th is the big date. <laughs> you know, when Brooklyn's going to oh, come yeah. – when Brooklyn's going to come to Wells Fargo, it'll be the first – how long has it been? How, how far back do we have to go that people were scalping Sixers tickets? I mean, how many years do we have to go back before – to find yeah. a time when they were actually scalping a ticket for a Sixers game. I guarantee you they will be scalping tickets for that game. They've been that's practically great. giving them away for years now, but now I think you're actually going to have a game that's going to be scalpable. Yeah, that's going to be it's it's going to be tremendous. Uh odds between 0 and 100 that Ben Simmons plays in that game. Oh, he's got to play, doesn't he? Oh, got to play. This Ben Simmons well, I, you know, if, if you're the Nets, you got—I mean, you got to push him out on the floor. I mean, you, you can't—you uh, can't let him call hey, this we shot. Need to, we need to protect him. I don't—I I will tell you, Ray, fifty-five, forty-five. Wow. 
I mean, you'd be surprised if, if Ben comes up with something that night? No, nothing would surprise me. But In I case mean, of it's, the hiccups, uh, the hangnail? I mean, there's many things that could happen. Stub his toe? Nothing, n- nothing would surprise me. But, I mean, that would be beyond shameful. If he, if, you know. <laughs> and as we know, well, he, that, he's got a high level. Of yeah, shame. and he's got a very high level of shame. That <laughs> is true. But I, I, I've, I expect him to, you know, I would expect him to play. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four Ray Dinger and Glenn Macnow. We have a lot of people uh, we would love to talk to today about this trade, um, about Dick Vermeil in the Hall of Fame, about anything else that is on your mind. Ray, of course, still mourning because uh, Major League Baseball yesterday announced it's going to go to the uh, Universal Designated Hitter. Ray, were you were you able to go to sleep last night with that on your mind? No, I I resigned myself to it. You're, okay. I, I mean, two for two years now, I knew it was coming. So yeah, you know. Great. It didn't come as any great shock. I still don't I like it, but I know, I know. I we'll do. Get I do. I, I will say this: I do recognize the fact that it actually does. I think play to the Phillies' advantage. There you go. I think the uh, Phil- I think the Phillies are one team that could actually benefit by it. Well, and they need all the help they can get. Coming up at noon, Dick Vermeil will join us, the newest member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Ray and Glenn, on ninety-four WIP. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix. And Rhode Island. Jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data Fixed Median Download Speeds USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Ray Danger, Glenn Mack, and a couple of quick announcements. Uh, normally, we do uh, what we're watching at uh, around 11.20, 11.25. We're going to do it early today in the next segment because we have Keith Pompey as a guest at 11, and we have Dick Vermeil as a guest at 12, so we're moving a few things around. So if you want good TV and maybe good movie advice from Ray, stay tuned in the next segment uh, for that. Uh, also, Tuesday night, Ray, another charity event. And again, I always appreciate your uh, efforts to help out. Uh, Conchock and Brewing Company that I'm a part of did a charity beer, a collaboration with Mark Zumoff called Zooisms. 
Um, first of all, it's a terrific beer. And Ray, I don't know. I know you don't drink the beer, but I don't know if you've seen the can, Ray. It's it's spectacular. I have. It's it's very cool. I agree. Has uh, has a great um, caricature of Zoo and all of his sayings, all of his zooisms, on the can. We're going to do a launch party, which is a charity effort for Philly youth basketball, something that Zoo is involved with, Philadelphia youth basketball. And so Tuesday night at Puller's Kitchen and Tap, 3 to Calp Street, Bridgeport, right across the bridge from Norristown, we're going to have an event. Come and drink beer. Proceeds go to benefit the charity. Ray is going to be there, as is Mike Sealski, signing and selling their great books. And we have just a handful of charity items, not a bunch. Uh, auction items, excuse me, auction items. Mostly just eat and drink and have fun. But one of the auction items, Ray, is um, the opportunity to have lunch with Phil Martelli and Fran Dunphy. By the way, Fran's going to be there Tuesday. <laughs> How great of time would that be to have lunch with those two guys? Yeah, if, if you're, you know, if you love basketball, you you can't do better than that. Uh, two great guys with a lot of history and both really great storytellers. That uh, that will be that will be a fun fun item. So that's Tuesday evening. The event just again come and drink the beer, come and have some food. The event starts at six thirty. Puddler's Kitchen and Tap Three to Calp Street, Bridgeport, right across from the bridge. Okay, uh, I want to get to the calls in just a second, but before I do, Joel Embiid was very um, open and honest, as he always is. That's why one of the reasons he's so refreshing. And yesterday, uh, he talked a little bit about Ben Simmons and kind of the relationship. Go ahead. Being on the court, uh, what we did, you know, by the season, uh, we were dominant. Uh, so he's unfortunate that uh, winning. Uh, was not the biggest factor. Uh, it's unfortunate that, you know, for him, uh, you know, having his own team and I guess being a star uh, was more of his priorities. Uh, but, you know, while we start that, you know, everything was great. Uh, the fit was great, but unfortunately, uh, you know, dad thought that it wasn't, uh, but, you know, we all move on. Ray, as they say, throwing a little shade out there. A little bit, yeah, but I don't think it's going to surprise anyone that that was the that was his feeling. Um, it was pretty obvious by the end of last year, certainly after the last game against Atlanta, that he made it pretty clear how he felt about <laughs> how he felt about Ben Simmons, and I I totally get it. I I totally understand it, um, and that's why. Listen, you know, I am I am far from Ben Simmons' biggest fan. I'm one of his bigger critics, actually. Uh, but I will say I think he's landed in a good situation if indeed there is such a thing as a good situation for him or something that will keep him happy because he's going to a team with a lot of guys that can really shoot. And his biggest problem is he can't shoot and doesn't want to shoot. He wants to pass the ball. And going to the Nets, if he's on a team with you know Durant and uh, Curry and Irving, uh, he's got a lot of guys that can shoot the basketball. So it, seemed, it seems to be the one place where – his particular approach to the game and his particular skill set seems to be a fit. Certainly wasn't in Philadelphia anymore, but it may be in Brooklyn. I'm going to disagree to one uh, extent. I think his biggest problem is he can't take scrutiny and pressure. Uh, and maybe Brooklyn, maybe ironically, playing in the largest market in the country is good for him because in New York, it's still the Knicks. Um, the Nets have their fans, and Brooklyn, it's, it's kind of a cool team with a cool logo and a young fan base and all that. But I think scrutiny is what he can't take. Attention is what he can't take. We'll see how that plays out in Brooklyn. 
Yeah, I don't think there's going to be as much as you think. because No, I'm saying I don't think there will be as much because it's not the Knicks. Yeah, and it's also because the one thing he doesn't want to do is something he's not going to have to do on that team. Oh, shoot. Yeah, maybe. he can play. I mean, he can play his game up there and play it within a fairly, fairly good comfort zone up there, and it might actually suit him. I don't think the scrutiny on him is going to be as much. It, it will be initially, but largely I think it's going to be the people up there from reading the New York press, they're excited about it. Well, you know, they, they think, that, you know, I mean, they're saying Philadelphia gave him a raw deal. Oh, uh, and now he's coming to New York and he's coming up to a better situation. And, yeah, but and see, he'll be happy. No, they'll learn. They'll learn. And um, the question, you're right. He's not going to have to take a lot of three-pointers, a lot of shots. Is he ever going to have to go to the foul line? Maybe not. <laughs> I mean, really, the way well, he plays? Shoot. The way he guess, plays? If he don't shoot, yeah, yeah. All right, if he let's, doesn't let's, shoot, uh, he might never go to the line. Let's uh, grab John in Ridley. You're on with Ray and Glenn. Hey, John. Good morning, guys. I'm um, I have a couple of feelings about this trade. I'm glad that Harden's here. You got you got Simmons who never who who wasn't going to play here this year. Didn't want to be here. And I do understand Harden jumping from team to team, but you know he actually is interested in playing with Embiid. And if we can get a little bit out of Harden for this, you know, if it blows up in our face in two years, but if we can get a glimpse of what he was for the rest of this year and next year, I, I agree, Glenn. If, if we win it, all will be forgotten. Oh yeah. And then um. Oh, if they win it, then, about, you know, you build a statue to the guy. Yes, yes. And then March 10th, when the Nets come into town, yeah. any chance of an unofficial Ben Simmons free frosty appreciation night oh. where they, <laughs> they just hack it, they hack a shack him in the fourth quarter, and you know he's going to miss both shots. It's going to be so wild. I, I can guarantee that our station – is going to come up with some kind of crazy promo that we'll get involved with. Um, yeah, we'll I... see. We'll see if the Sixers are. And thanks, Ray. Are the Sixers going to be willing to be part of it, or are they going to take the high road? No, I think they'll high road it. Yeah, it doesn't mean we have to. No, no, we won't. I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure. I'm sure discussions are already underway for right. how we're going to acknowledge this. What they yeah. do in. What they do when T.O. came back to town? Um, didn't didn't they have like a bonfire and they oh burned yeah his jerseys we did a funeral or something? on the pregame show yeah yeah, yeah. I mean whenever yeah. whenever there have been these returns when Eric Lindros came back as a member of the Rangers when Donovan McNabb came back as a member of Washington, you know um, their WIP was fully armed and ready to go yeah. for those occasions. So I, I I have no doubt I have no doubt that uh, that WIP will rally around March 10th in in much the same way. And his idea was great. You hire a half a dozen Mr. Frosty or Mr. S- Mr. Frosty, Mr. Softy trucks that mm-hmm. just kind of line the building. To circle the building, just playing the uh, playing the jingle. Yeah. Let's get to our pal Geary in Southampton. What's on your mind today? Hey, how you doing, guys? I just wanted to publicly congratulate Art McNally being a you know in the. In the referee, uh, one of your uh, brethren. For those who oh, don't absolutely. know, Geary, absolutely. former uh, <laughs> college ref, and still involved with the NFL. So that's right. Yeah, one of yours gets in. Yeah, he's. Uh, I've I, I've known uh, Art since uh, I was five years old, so sixty-five years. So he uh, uh, refereed a. I still can remember him refereeing a game with my dad, a uh, three three-man game at uh, in uh, Winwood, Winwood uh, PA, and uh, it was. It was, um, but a, what what a what a great great man and unbelievable. Uh, Ray, did you know that uh, that uh, Art was the one that came up with the uh, uh, red? Uh, I mean, the uh, yellow penalty marker. The, yeah, the I did. I did. Oh, he, listen, he was 
He was part of, of the NFL officiating landscape for geez, 60 years. I mean, yeah, well, he, I mean he, over, he oversaw all of that stuff. Oh, absolutely. Wait, what was the, it before it was a yellow flag? Uh, red. Oh. And why did they switch it to yellow? Because Art, uh, Art thought um, it would show up better on TV. Okay. Interesting. And, and that's, that's, how, that's how it all came about. And um, and that was like in 1969, 70, some, somewhere around there, because he, he was still he was a supervisor of officials. And then then uh, I forget what year Ray with the uh, first uh, replay, he introduced replay um, in into the league, and then they took it away for a while, and then they came back. With right. It, so right. But he was he was the very first very first uh, one that you know. Yeah. Well, Gary, you you got it, and uh, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, Yeah, Ray, we'll go over the class uh, later today, all of the members and who got in and who didn't. I want to hit a break here because I want to get some stuff on time, but I will just say I continue to be baffled by the lack of traction that Eric Allen's candidacy gets. Uh, We were thrilled last year for Harold Carmichael, long overdue. Similarly, this year for Dick Vermeil, it's about damn time. And then the next campaign that we have to be part of, that I really hope gains some footing, is Eric Allen, who played 14 really good and sometimes great years in the NFL, should be – he's not even a finalist. Any, he has, never has been. I know. I don't get it. Yeah, it's, it's very – I don't know it, what it, they need to Yeah, it's, it's, it's very puzzling. I mean, the two guys that are out there, and I, I, I agree with you about Eric, and I, I feel much the same way about Seth Joyner. I think yeah, yeah both, I don't want to short shrift him. Yeah, no, I think, I think those are two guys that absolutely belong in the Hall of Fame, and – you know, the Eagles as a franchise that's been around since 1933, I think, are are very underrepresented in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. There's probably There are probably only half a dozen, maybe seven guys that are in there based on what they did as Philadelphia Eagles, and there should be more. And uh, um, and you you named the two that, to me, would be on the top of my list for sure. All right, let's take a quick break. 215-592-9494 coming up. Going to give you something to see at the movies, something to see on TV, our What We're Watching feature. Hey, President's Day is right around the corner, and you know what that means. Summer is coming. Boy, I can't wait. It's nice out today, but you know the cold is just around the corner. Oh, man, you can save big right now at United Tire and Service. That's right, your favorite brands like Michelin, BF Goodrich, and more on sale. That makes it the right time to buy. Now through March 7th, Come on in, meet the team, and get excellent service. United Tire delivers value and expertise. You can trust that you're getting the best deal on the industry's most trusted tires. Tell them Glenn sent you. Remember, don't drive alone. Drive United. When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we are all realizing that the quality of our air, especially our indoor air, is really darn important. In 30 minutes, Puro Air will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at GetPuroAir.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. 
Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. All right. Well, we're watching sponsored by Guided Door and Window. Take advantage of Guided Door and Window's big winter sale through February. Receive 40% off all windows and doors. Call 1-877-GO-GUIDA or visit them at go, G-U-I-D-A.com. Ray, you went out to the movies, and here's the thing. It's nominated. I'll, I'll let you say the name of the movie, but I was looking it up. I haven't seen it. Nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay. I am going to run out to see this, Ray. Well. What? Okay. No? <laughs> uh, no. What? Didn't work for me. I'll tell the people. Didn't Well, it didn't work for me, and it didn't work for my wife who when we when the lights came on and we were walking out of the theater she said that was the worst movie i well, ever saw you better <laughs> better give the you wait you went to see shape of water uh, no 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 oh what did you go to no. see we went to see licorice pizza uh, it's getting such i mean big buzz huge buzz and critics loved it um and i didn't like it at all i i really did my my wife my wife actually hated it. She really did. Uh, I, I wouldn't go quite that far. I, I didn't like it. Um, but I'm not all that surprised. Uh, the gentleman you mentioned who's nominated for, he wrote the screenplay. He's nominated for an Oscar. He's nominated for an Oscar as Best Director. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, is, he's one of these guys who's the critics just love him. They just adore him. I mean, everything he does, oh, my God, he's a genius. He's brilliant. Um, I In my view, he made one... One really good movie, and it was his first one. That was Boogie Nights. Um, I thought that was I thought that was really good, but that was back in 1997. Um, what he's done since then: Magnolia, Punch Drunk Love, There Will Be Blood, The Master, Phantom Thread, um, have left me cold. Uh, and this one colder than all the rest. Um, just it's to, the best way of describing it to me. Now again, this is just me. Maybe somebody else will go out and see it and feel totally different. But to me, this. It was just a bunch of scenes. It wasn't a movie, if you know what I mean. Oh, there I were, know exactly what you mean. There were moments, there were scenes, there were little vignettes that happened, uh, and they're all kind of strung end to end. But to me, it never, it never came together as a whole movie. To me, the best, uh, it's, um, Philip Seymour Hoffman's son, Connor Hoffman, uh, plays the lead. He plays a, a high school kid uh, who's a child actor and basically a hustler slash entrepreneur. Uh, and he's pursuing a 25-year-old woman, um, and which is kind of creepy in and of itself. I I, I thought. I mean, the, the whole premise was kind of odd. I think if the best way the best way of describing this for people who have, who are kind of movie movie people, if you liked Punch Drunk Love, if you liked that movie, you know, with Adam Sandler and all, and I know some people did. The chances are you, right. you, will, I, I, you, you will probably like Licorice Pizza. Cause I didn't it, dislike it, but Because yeah. it, has, it has very much the same kind of construction. It has very much the same kind of very leisurely storytelling. Um, and it kind of deals with a lot of that youthful angst and, um, and that, kind of, that kind of stuff. That, um, that kind of sensibility is, is very much a part of this. Um, 
uh, uh, there's a uh, the leading lady, the woman who plays the love interest of Connor Hoffman, is is Elena Heim, who's a who's actually this is her first, this is her, this is her first acting too. This was Connor Hoffman's first movie, and this is Elena Haim's first movie. She's actually a singer. She's part of the of the girl singing group with her sisters. The Haim is what it's called, mm-hmm. uh, which are pretty popular. Um, and uh, this this is the first time that she's acted, and she's not bad. Uh, but the best part of the movie, I mean, the only part of the movie that's worthwhile, um, is the is what is really amounts to a cameo, an extended cameo by Bradley Cooper, which is really a hoot, where he plays John Peters, the uh, the movie producer and husband of of Barbara Streisand, um, and it's 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 very funny. It's it's the one time when I actually kind of felt the movie come alive because Bradley Cooper was really that good. Um, but the rest of it, I mean, there's a vin- there's a f- similar cameo with Sean Penn, where he plays an actor that's sort of the sort of derivative of William Holden, uh, and it just brings the movie to a screeching halt, and it ne- it never quite recovers. So. I mean, listen. If 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 you kind of like if you kind of like Paul Thomas Anderson's style of filmmaking, if you're a fan of his work, mm-hmm. then go see it because I think it's I think this is a a, a very well, good representation now. of it. I'm out. But if you like if you like Punch Drunk Love, and I know some people did, go see it. You'll probably like it. But to uh, me, it just it's it's nominated for three Academy Awards. For all I know, it may win one or two. I'm but, happy. Uh, he's not getting my vote. I, I got you. The movie that I loved this year, I said was nominated. I have only seen like two or three of the ones nominated for Best Picture. Coda, which I recommended to people, which you can watch on Apple TV Plus, is nominated for it. And if you want to see a great coming-of-age movie, find yourself Coda. So I'm going to give you my recommendation for the week, and it's uh, it's TV. And, Ray, you know I watch a lot of gritty, violent, depressing shows, British cop shows. I'm I'm still catching up on Ozark. I'm about to begin something called Gamora, which, I mean, by its title, you can kind of see what that is. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I need a break. Sometimes I need something funny, even silly. I mean, my wife literally says, like, Let's, we need a break show. And I found it in Murderville which is a six-part Netflix half-hour comedy that's part improv, part every cliche cop show of the last 30 years, uh, part murder mystery dinner theory. So here's the setup. Will Arnett, who I think is very funny. You know, you know who he is? Yes. Okay. He, he plays a hard-boiled detective, and in every episode there is a celebrity guest as Arnett and his other cops try to solve a murder. The catch is that the celebrity guest, and by the way, the celebrity guests are Conan O'Brien and Sharon Stone and Barry, oh, Marshawn Lynch, who I'll tell you about in the middle. They have to improvise their way through the show. Everybody else is on the script, but the mystery guest, not mystery guest, but the guest doesn't have the script and has to improvise. So Arnett is throwing out every police show trope in history, and the rest of the cast is doing cameos some well-known names they're playing by the script and the guest of the week is trying to figure it all out both the script and solving the mystery and they investigate crime scenes and grill suspects and they put up with Arnett's nonsense for 30 minutes and then at the close of the episode the guest is asked to identify the killer from a lineup of three suspects uh, and then they reveal whether he's right or wrong it's hysterical. It's silly and it's dumb, but it's really funny. Conan O'Brien was great in episode one. There's a scene where they're in a diner that's unforgettable. I don't want to give it away. Um, Marshawn Lynch is great because he's so um, guileless and he's so out of his comfort zone. 
They they tell him he's got to be a poker dealer. <laughs> he has no idea idea how to dole out cards. Uh, Ken Jeong is very good, the comedian. So Murderville is a hybrid of sitcom and reality show and spoof and grand scale prank, and it works for me. Again, it's sometimes silly, uh, but sometimes silly and stupid is perfect. And it's this is it, Murderville, six part Netflix half hour show. If you're looking for a break. Oh, there you go. So there you go. Okay, good. I wish uh, I, I wish I could give a glowing recommendation for licorice pizza. But no, I'm listen. I can't. What we're watching includes what we're telling people to avoid. Mm-hmm. Great movies stink these days. They're, they really do. Yeah. You 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 love the movies. You go. I mean, you don't go a lot now, but you typically go to the movies a lot. And what's you know how often? How many times a year now do you go out and see a movie and think like, boy, that was that was really something. Can't not wait very, to talk about that. Yeah, not very often. Right. Not very often. Right. The one it's, movie, the one movie I kind of really liked this year, and it, and it just vanished without a trace. Was uh, I, I I really loved West Side Story. I thought West. Yeah, Side I just got that in the mail, by the way. I thought West. Uh, Side, yeah, watch it. It's it's yeah, it's, re, it's really really good, and it got nominated for awards as it should, but it just never found an audience, and that's too bad. It's you really and I well uh, because we're uh, uh, our union, the American Federation of. Uh, TV and radio artists is merged with SAG, Screen Actors Guild. So we're members of the Screen Actors Guild. So they send us all the mailers for the Screen Actors Guild Awards, and I got uh, that one in the mail the other day. So maybe I'll sit down and watch that this weekend. I guarantee you, you and Judy oh, no. will, will really I mean, love it. It's it's, yeah, it's really well done. Spielberg, Spielberg is a master storyteller. And that's your favorite first... movie of the year, huh? That's your favorite movie of the year? Yeah, it's my, it's my favorite movie of the year. It's uh, uh, you know for a guy taking his first stab at a musical, I think he uh, hit it out of the park. If they send you Coda, just watch it. All right. I got it. Oh, you got. Oh, I, I got it. I got it just in the last couple of days. All right. Do you know how to turn on your your machine and watch it? Um. Um. I think Maria. W- when might. your son comes home from from, uh, from China, Beijing, can he yeah, set you up like, to watch it? A couple it? more weeks. Yeah, he can probably do that. All right. You should. All right, Rodney in East Manary's been hanging in. What's on your mind, Rodney? Hey, what's going on, guys? Hey there. Glenn, Ray, Ben Simmons is gone. Ben Simmons is gone. Ben Simmons is gone, man. That's all I wanted. I just wanted him. I just wanted him out of this freaking team, out of this city. And for all you Ben Simmons lovers that was defending this guy years after years after years, I'm not going to say I told you so, but I told you so. Well, I mean, like, Ronnie, I think on, you speak man. for many of us. Yes, that's exactly I, right. I wanted this man gone since the series against the Celtics when he only scored one point, missed one dunk, and then after the series, you would think that, oh, Ben Simmons, he's going to work in this game. He got the nerve to go on in L.A. and date a Kenner Jenner. I knew right then and there, I'm like, yo, we got to get we gotta get rid of him. We should have traded him for uh, Kawhi Leonard, and you see what happened. Raptors end up getting him, and they got a chip because of it. And years after years after years, I was just like, dude, I can't root for this team. This guy is getting on my nerves, man. He found ways to, to like, not take us to the promised land of going to the finals, man. Like, it, it, it's like, when do the front office realize that he is the problem. And it took for him missing, I mean, passing up a dunk, even a layup, to realize that he, he's not it. 
<laughs> and finally, finally. Ronnie, that was a beautiful vent. Afternoon. Oh, sorry. Didn't we want to finally get rid of this guy. I want to pop champagne. I want to go out. I, like, yo, to everybody that feels the same way, like, let's link up and, and have a celebration. Because oh. this weekend, I'm going forever cherish. Yes, I'm happy about the Super Bowl, but getting with a Ben Simmons is like the worst relationship that I'm finally getting over, man. Well, I, I'm Rodney, so I do not have a uh, – I have no champagne, but I have a cup of coffee. And I'm going to raise this now. I'm going to touch the mic with it to you uh, for that brilliant call. That's two brilliant calls in the first hour. Yeah, Rodney got a lot off his chest there. <laughs> right, that was cathartic. That absolutely was. <laughs> I, I didn't want him. He was on a roll, man. I just didn't want to interrupt No, him. I didn't want to interrupt him either. All right, coming up, Keith Pompey, who covers the Sixers for the Inquirer, is going to join us. We're going to get his take on all of this and your calls, 215-592-9494. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now on 94W. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. So what exactly is the show about? It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. By Pete. Double went on Durant, Mills, shot clock at three, Harden bumping it in, Luka, oh, takes it in, what a great move, James Harden careens off the body of Doncic and glides for two. Well, there you go, that's what we can expect moving forward, well, we'll find out, Keith Pompey covers the Sixers for the Philadelphia Inquirer, you can follow him on Twitter at Pompey, P-O-M-P-E-Y, on Sixers, nice enough to join us the morning after the game. So um, you asked a really good question the other night. Actually, I don't know if you asked the question, but Doc Rivers was asked the question with the addition of James Harden to the Sixers now have enough to win an NBA title. And Keith, I was kind of surprised because he didn't he didn't just come out and say, well, of course we do. So do they? You know, I, I think they're a better team. I think they got the best player um, in there. But, you know, I don't know if this is elevation to the NBA championship to win a title. I mean, just because, you know, there are are some deficiencies. Like, you know, first of all, we have to see how Joel and and, and Harden meshed, right? That's the Mm -hmm. first thing. I think they will do well, especially this season. But the shooting has been inconsistent. The best shooter they traded away to get James Harden. And and they fi- and they finally found a, a quality backup big, um, and Embiid for Embiid and Andre Drummond, and now the Sixers have to look for a backup big in the buyout market. So you know, Doc Rivers was <laughs> he was kind of honest. Typically, coaches say yeah, yeah, um, but I, I think he was honest, and I, and I think that is those are two legitimate concerns right there in regards to. A consistent shooter, someone has to step up, and who's going to be the backup, you know, just in case something happens to Embiid or you just want to, you know, you don't want to wear them out minute-wise. You know, Keith, one of the things that we've seen with the Sixers uh, over the course of this season um, was the fact that when teams went to a zone defense, it really gave them problems. It's it's been, mm-hmm. it's been really throughout the season, and you just saw it last week with the game that they lost. Again, Zone defense has just posed a problem. I'm guessing that the addition of a shooter like Harden could could be the solution to that, right? I mean, it it would seem like if 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 zone defenses are problematic for your your team, having a shooter with the range of Harden would be a good way to con- would be a good way to combat that. 
You know, I, 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 I agree. I also think the fact that he can take things off the dribble, like where he can sort of attack the defense and then kick the ball out as well. And, and, you know, he can do the step back three or he can find Embiid. I think that is going to help him because when you look at the 76ers, you know, Tyrese Maxey has played a heck of a season. I mean, he was better than, than, than anyone could imagine, but he's more of a combo guard than a point guard. Right. And, and they didn't have a, a point guard, not to say that James Harden is a quote unquote point guard, but at the same time, he has more experience and he can do that. And yes, you know, when he's firing from outside, he can, you know, he, he, he can show range and he can make those shots and it will help it. But I also think the fact that his being able to penetrate, get to a spot, kick the ball out or find and be is really going to help them out and help them get these teams out of the zone. Keith Pompey is our guest. He covers the Sixers for the Philadelphia Inquirer, a job that probably got just a lot more interesting. Um, Keith, the last time the Sixers had a guard who could who could close out, who who was was clutch, it was Jimmy Butler. Is Harden at this point of his career better than Butler was when he was here a couple of years back? That's a great question um, because you know uh, you look at it and. Uh, you know, the, the thing about Harden, uh, you know, uh, if you would have said a couple of years ago, I would say Harden, excuse me, uh, yeah, Harden was completely better. Now, the reason why it's a great question is because you look at Harden right now, he's 32, um, you know, he's played a lot of minutes, he's done a lot of things, but he had kind of like a down shooting percentage for a season this year in, in Brooklyn. So you have to determine, was that just because of, the situation he was in, or is he a little bit on the decline, so to speak? Um, but, you know, let's face it. When As soon as they got rid of Jimmy Butler and we realized that the Al Horford experiment wasn't working, everyone at that point was saying, you have to go after James Harden. You have to. But, again, that was the James Harden from two years ago, so we'll really find out. But, you know, if, if you ask me, like, Nothing against Jimmy Butler. I like Jimmy. I mean, and I think Jimmy was great. But, you know, there was a time where some people were saying, I don't know if Jimmy's the right guy. And But when they got into the playoffs, they understood that Jimmy was that guy. They understood it then. But even still, he still wasn't in that category of a James Harden. Like James Harden was what they call those A-list guys. Where Jimmy, as good as he was, mm-hmm. you know, he was a B-list all-star. So, you know, it's still an upgrade. The only question is, we had, the Sixers have to figure out, is was his shooting percentage because of Father Tom, so to speak? Or was it just because he was in a bad situation, you know, up in Brooklyn? One of the things that, uh, and we were just talking about this before you came on, one of the things about this trade that surprised me not that the trade was done. That didn't surprise me because it had been talked about for so long. But they were able to do it without including Thibel or Maxi or Harris or those guys who had, at various times had all been mentioned as part of the proposed deal. They were able to make the deal without including any of those guys. How surprising was that to you? You know, the, the thing about it is um, in regards to uh, Harris, his contract was like, you know, it's just too much. You know, there are teams who like him but they don't like him for 30, 35.9 million. You know, they, they, they like, if he was a 20 million guy, maybe. Right. 
Um, but I think that was a hard, hard a sell getting off of that contract. Um, in regards to 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 Maxi and and Matisse, yeah, I was surprised um, be, be because there were a, at least one of them because there were a lot of teams who really you know who were going after them. But when you think about it, you look at it. I think this was the quintessential bluffing uh, trade negotiations. Like, at the end of the day, Brooklyn was saying how much they wanted these guys, but they really didn't want to finish the season with Harden in the locker room because they didn't know how, if it was just going to blow up. I mean, the guy wasn't with the team. You know, he was in Houston, I heard, you know, things like that. He left, you know, for the, uh, for the trade deadline. So they guys on the team felt like he quit. They quit on him. So while they were saying we're holding out, you know, they they at, at the end they had to settle. You know, and I, and it was one of those things where, yes, they kept saying we want Matisse, we want Matisse, we want Matisse. But then right at the eleventh hour, they said, okay, we'll take Drummond instead. <laughs> right. So yeah. in in a way, you can argue that yes, they didn't have to give these guys up, but. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, uh, Brooklyn was going to make a deal no matter what. I'm just gonna, there's a little confusion as to whether he opted in for next year. I've seen reports both ways. What is his contract status? I'm hearing that he will opt in. Uh, I, I, you know, I didn't hear that he opted in. Okay, but he has not yet. Um, no, I, I just scared. okay. Um, one more, I one more question. I'll turn it over to Ray. What would you, given the opportunity, what would you have wanted to ask Ben Simmons over the course of the last month or two? Uh, what could you have done better? What could you have done better? You know, I mean, because, you know, the, the thing about Ben, you know, every, every and like, you know, Ben stuff is leaking out and, you know, you talk to sources and they say stuff, how you felt. I never fault anyone for the way they feel, especially six months after the way they felt a certain way. But my main question would have been, like, what could you have done to make the situation better? And the reason why I'm saying that is I remember um, his first playoff series, you know, which was his rookie year, but actually his second year because he missed the first year. And he struggled from the foul line, and, and he struggled to make shots at times, right? And um, more so shots from the outside. He didn't take them. And, you know, I remember I was doing these radio shows and people were asking me, well, do you expect him to be better next year? And I was like, yeah. Like, you know, after he struggled from shooting the three and these perimeter shots and how guys were sagging off him, I'm confident that this guy is in the gym working on it. Right? He just assumed he would be. And then the second year comes and it's a little bit of the same. And then after that, the same. And it gets to a point where, you know, when you don't fire up those shots, um, it leads to Doc Rivers having to go above and beyond to defend you from the media, which led to finally Doc Rivers saying what he said and then led to Ben Simmons getting upset and, and led to where we are right now. And my question for him would be, what – would you have done differently when you went back to that Boston series um, and you struggled from shooting the ball? Because if he would have worked on his game, I'm telling you, I mean, we talk about Joel Embiid being the guy, and Joel Embiid is the man. 
but some of the things that Ben Simmons used to do for a six-ten guy, his athleticism and stuff, you know, is comparable what Joel Embiid is able to do as a seven-foot-two guy. And if Ben worked on his jumper and 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 spent more time on his three-throw shooting, I mean, you can say that he would be a top-five player in the in the league. And so that would be my question to Ben Simmons, like what would you have done differently? Yeah, good question. Good question. It's a question that uh, a lot of people, I'm sure a lot of people would ask. My uh, last question for me, Keith, is it seems that uh, when you look at Simmons and the kind of player that he is at this point in his career uh, and, the, and the landing places that he could have gone, you know, not that I'm rooting for the guy, I'm certainly not, but it seems like Brooklyn's a good one for him. I mean, for a guy that doesn't want to shoot the ball and wants to distribute the ball, he needs to be on a team with shooters, and man, they got some shooters. I mean, it seems like if you could pick a if you could pick a place for him to go, if he can just deal with New York, if he can deal with the New York media and the scrutiny he's going to be under, for his game being on the same floor with Durant and Irving and Curry now would seem to be a tailor made situation for him. Oh yeah, it's the if it's not the best situation, it's the second best. I mean, you know, ideally, you would say to yourself. Okay, where else would he be better or excel? Okay, the Splash Brothers, right, in Golden State. But then you have to, you know, you can't have him and Draymond on the floor at the same time. So then you think about Brooklyn. And the difference between the Splash Brothers and um, and, and Brooklyn is like, you know, the Splash Brothers, they shoot threes. You know, they're known for that. But these guys can do a lot of things. They can become very ball-dominant at times and do things. So whereas... You know, Ben Simmons can be, uh, you know, celebrated for getting four to five shots a game because he knows he's going to defend. He knows he's going to get assists. He's going to do a lot of other intangible things. He's going to be an all-star type of role player type of guy, getting stats. And, you know, I also think that there's not going to be anyone saying, hey, how come you only shot the ball four times? How come you didn't shoot the ball in the in the fourth quarter? So you are right. You are correct. It, it, this is a great uh, spot for him. My only thing that I hope for him, like you said, you know, you root for the guy. You know, he, you know, he he wants him a lot. But me personally, I just hope that he uses this opportunity. Now again, he doesn't have to shoot the ball, but I hope he uses this opportunity to take advantage of working on his game well, you may not have to show it but you have to improve your game because that's going to come an opportunity that you know you're going to be called upon to make that shot you're more gracious than i am keith pompey i'll give you credit for that uh pompey on sixers <laughs> on twitter uh i'm sorry real quick when might we see james harden's debut is it going to be before the all-star game or next week i don't know doc said there's no timetable um you know, I would I would hate to throw something out there, okay. but I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if 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 it's you know if, if it takes to after the All Star game. Got it. But that's Keith, thanks me. thanks so much for being our guest today, man. Always appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, fellas. Thank you, All Keith. Right, be well. There you go. He's very gracious, Beth Simmons, Ray, and you're you're more often a bigger man than I, more gracious than I. But I can tell you, I. I'm rooting for Ben Simmons to be a dismal failure. Down the road. That's just that's just me. I, you know, I, 
I got. I can be vindictive. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. I mean, I don't particularly care. I mean, I certainly, I know. you know, made it known I don't like the guy. But now that he's somebody else's problem, I can, you know, whatever happens, happens. I'm not rooting either for nor. I'm certainly not rooting for him, nor am I rooting against him. I, the one thing I am rooting for, I am rooting for the Sixers and the and the Nets to hook up in the playoffs. Oh yeah. I would. I. I. That, that if you're asking me what I'm rooting for as the outcome of all this, what I am rooting for is that when you get to the postseason. We get Sixers Nets somewhere along the line. That yep. to me would be must see TV. Corey in the Northeast wants to talk about the trade. What are you thinking, Corey? Hey guys, how you doing? All right. Uh, first, uh, you know I'm ecstatic about the trade. I think it was the best case scenario. I think he got the best player that he could. We all know that that's what we want. Hey wanted Corey, all. if you're on speaker, could you um, get off the speaker and pick up the phone? Pick up the headset. One second. Okay. Yeah, it really helps us. It's it's easier for the audience to hear when you're Hello? actually. Is that yeah, better? They're much better. Thank you. All yes. right. Sorry about that. I'm at work. Mm-hmm. But we all know that that was his guy all along, so I'm sure he's happy about getting. But what I wanted to talk about is now what are we going to do about the backup center position? Now, I know that there's been a couple of things said about maybe getting DeAndre Jordan in the buyout market or um, Boogie Cousins. I mean, what do you guys see them doing? I think that I mean not not being able to tell you all the names, but the buyout market is a real thing in the NBA, which is teams want to dump contracts at the end of or, or you know coming up soon in the season. Um, the Sixers have done it before. Remember when they got Bellinelli a couple of years ago and how right. helpful he was. That was a buyout market thing. So they'll they'll find a body, but part of it to me, Corey, and you do need a backup center, but it's less vital as they move to the playoffs because. Hey, if you lose and beat in the playoffs, you're done anyway. I don't want the backup center to play more than 10, 12 minutes a night in the playoffs. Yeah, that's true. So, so we'll see. That's, um, I mean, it's something they have to do, but, Ray, I can't say it's big concern to me. No, no, although Drummond did fit that role very well. Yeah, I know. I mean, he came he in and actually gave, he actually came in and gave you something. You know, when he was, when he was on the floor, I mean, he, he did some things. He was certainly a, certainly a defensive presence. He rebounded hard, and he could actually – he could actually score the ball once in a while. So, I mean, he was kind of nice to have, but if putting him in the trade allowed you to close the deal, then fine. I'm fine with that. Yeah. How do you think Drummond and uh, Curry feel now <laughs> that they are uh, – they got to be teammates of Ben Simmons now, that they got traded because of Ben Simmons? <laughs> uh, I'm sure there's not a lot of warmth there. I mean, Curry, you know, Doc had to trade his son-in-law. His son-in-law. He traded his grandkids, for God's sakes. Yeah. How about that? 215-592-9494. We'll get some calls in. Coming up in the next segment, we do our Scheib Sports This Week in Philadelphia Sports History. We have a great one, a hoops-related one, a big star comes to town one. So I'm excited about that. Stay tuned for that. We'll take your calls at 215-592-9494. He's Ray Dinger. I'm Glenn Macnow. And if this cold winter weather hasn't yet convinced you to replace your drafty, inefficient windows and doors, well, great people have got a door and window. They can help. They're extending their biggest discounts of the year through the end of February. Now, if you haven't taken advantage of God's big winter sale, 
Here's another chance to do so. You receive 40% off every window and door you buy. Yep, 40% off each expertly installed, energy-efficient replacement window that includes free high-performance low-E glass and 40% off any high-quality door, including insulated entry doors, sliding patio doors, garage doors, and storm doors. And you can buy now and pay later with guidance, interest-free financing, or low monthly payment plans. Act now. Offers through the end of February, so don't let this chance for big savings pass you by. If your home needs new windows or doors, call the experts at Guida today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. All right, Red Danger Glenn Mack now. It's time for this week in Philly Sports History, brought to you by Shibe Vintage Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Check out their throwback apparel at their Center City location or shibesports.com. Ray, the timing on this one couldn't be any better because we are this week celebrating and anticipating the arrival of a huge hoops star who could change the trajectory of the Sixers. That's for sure. And we've been through it before. And you remember this. I was not living in Philadelphia when this occurred. But you remember the arrival of Julius Irving for the 1976-77 season. Bicentennial, right? That bicentennial year here in Philadelphia, that was Dick Vermeil's first year, right? That was Dick Vermeil's first year. That is correct. And we are having him as a guest in about half an hour. It was also Julius Irving's first year. And, Ray, 45 years ago today was the NBA All-Star Game at the Mecca Arena in Milwaukee, home of the Milwaukee Bucks. Well, let me give you a little bit of Julius Irving from that day. McAdoo on the switch, forces a turnover now by the East defense, and here comes the duck uh, house call. Oh, 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 my goodness. What do you do when the man comes at you that fashion? Two-point left lead, lob pass to Lanier. And you see Julius hustle that time, even though Lanier got to take another look. Folks, enjoy it. It's vintage Julius Irving. Welcome to the NBA, the best in basketball on CBS. Thank you. Uh, Musburger's great. Um, that was the year, Ray, that the NBA basically took in the ABA, or at least several of the franchises. And all of these stars came into the league, uh, led by Doc, who ended up with the 76ers. Let me just give you a couple of players. And there were 12 Hall of Famers played in that All-Star game that mm-hmm. day, mm-hmm. February 12th, 1977. Julius Jabbar. Earl the Pearl, who was our guest uh, a couple of weeks ago and tell us your story. John Havlicek, Pete Maravich, he was always one of my favorites. Uh, Rick Barry, Buffalo Bob Lanier, George Gervin, Elvin Hayes. Ray, that was, basketball was great. Yeah, nicknames were great, too. <clears throat> yes. Big E, Iceman, yeah. Earl the Pearl. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, by the way, Doc had 30 points in 30 minutes, and there was no three-point shot then. Right. So, six years later to the day, February 12, 1983, at the Forum in Inglewood, California, Doc is again the MVP in the All-Star Game. Billy Cunningham coaches the East that day. Pat Riley coaches the West. And, Ray, that kind of foretells what are going to be the NBA Finals that year. Yes, it was. Um, By the way, just I'm going to do one quick aside. That game was notable for the players in it. But is most remembered all these years later, was that 39 years later, for something else. Do you know what that game is most remembered for? No. Go ahead. Play it, Dan Wilson. 
that when I sang it, would he let it move men's souls? Can you see? Marvin Gaye does this soulful uh, drum machine version of the Star Spangled Banner before the game, which, to my way of thinking, really kick-started anthem performances as a thing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it seemed to. Yeah, uh, and I think everybody remembers that one. Uh, but let me get back to, to, to Doc. By the way, that second All-Star game, 1983, the NBA had added the three-point shot. So you have all the All-Stars in that game. Mm-hmm. You know how many three-point shots were taken? Oh, geez. A uh, half dozen? Four. <laughs> <laughs> one was made. It's the All-Star game. There was one three-pointer. Uh, and by the way, I, I loved basketball much more back then, but that's, that's beside the point. So just I know um, it's not fair – to um, James Harden to compare his arrival to Julius Irving because that was, uh, and this is where I'm coming to your expertise, maybe the top one or two arrivals in this city in terms of sports stars? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because it, uh, it, um, it was one of those that you, it kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, there was talk about uh, the, the, they, they were then the New Jersey Nets, and uh, – they were in financial trouble. The owner, uh, Roy Bowe, was was in financial trouble, and he just kind of, they he kind of had a sell dock away. It was what it amounted to. He became available, uh, and the Sixers jumped in, and Pat Williams was the general manager, and the guy that owned the Sixers back at that time was uh, Fitz Dixon, and Fitz Dixon knew so little about basketball he didn't even know who Julius Irving was, and uh, Pat Williams was trying to explain to him why this was a good move for the franchise and why they couldn't afford not to do this. And just to try and drive home the point to Fitz Dixon so he could understand that he said, Mr. Dixon, Julius Irving is the Babe Ruth of basketball. And Fitz said, where's my checkbook? Yeah. <laughs> and, the deal, and the deal got done. Yeah. And, um, and, and it was done in season. The season was underway. And I, and I still remember the very first night when, um, uh, when he played his first game at the Spectrum, um, th- there was a s- season ticket holder named Steve Soames who had a courtside seat. He had one of the seats on the floor. Uh, and Steve, when they introduced Julius Irving and he went out to, in the spotlight to midcourt, uh, Steve Soames ran from his seat uh, onto the court and handed Julius Irving a doctor's kit. Uh, <laughs> and the place just went crazy. And yeah. it was uh, – and. Yeah. Interestingly enough, the Sixers lost that game. Oh well, who remembers but, that? But well, remember it, that. I mean, it, it took it took a little time for them to put the pieces together. Um, but the idea was they had a really good team, and they thought that one more star player could put them over the top. And yeah. it, he did indeed get them to the finals. But they ran into the Bill Walton Trailblazers. Right. Anyway, it had to be a thrilling time, and you know, I, I I'm comparing them, even as I know it's not fair to compare what was going on then, which is with what's going on now. But when a big star, one of the the bright lights of the league, comes to the city, it really does gin up the interest. Now, Doc was young, right? Doc still had a prime. Oh, sure. He was right right in his prime at that time. Harden is 32 going on 55. 
So we'll we'll get what we can. You know what's interesting about it Doc, too? I just, we got what a decade. Yeah, just very just very quickly. It's it's so far back. People don't really. It's hard to put it in context, but. The interesting thing about it was Doc was a name, but nobody had seen him play. Yeah. You think about it. I mean, he played at the University of Massachusetts. I mean, who sees University of Massachusetts? Not exactly like they're high on college college basketball's radar. They're not on TV. So nobody had really seen him play in college. And then he goes to play in the ABA, which unless you were an ABA fan and you like the multicolored basketball, you know, not that many people watch the ABA. Right. But everybody we used to get it Saturday afternoon at two. Yeah, but everybody kind of. But the thing was, not that many people had seen him play, but everybody knew who he was. Yeah, and so yeah. when he crossed over to the NBA, there was this tremendous amount of excitement because he was. There's a little bit of. There was a little bit of the unknown there, and the question of, okay, he was really good at UMass, and he was really good in the ABA, but how's he going to play in the NBA? Is mm-hmm. he is he really all that? And of course, we found out very quickly that he was. He was all that. Let's go to Robert in Germantown. Wants to talk about the trade and Dick Vermeil. Robert, let's do a Harden first and then Vermeil. Great. Quick trivia question for you guys first, talking about the trade. There was a baseball team in the 20s and 30s who all wore beards like Harden. Do you remember who that was? The House of Joseph? The House of David. House of David, House excuse me. David. David. They actually beat the Yankees in an exhibition game, but they actually literally all had those beards. Yeah, so it, was, anyway. it was a religious group, right? Right. But yeah. they were phenomenally good. They could probably beat today's Phillies, guys. <laughs> so, but anyhow, I've always loved that kind of beard. Uh, I used to be married to somebody named Stolzus. A lot of Amish people have those kind of beards. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, bring on Harden. My concern as a former coach is he's not really the three-point shooter you might think he is. He's down like 33%, I think. He's not Ray Allen. He's not Curry. He's not any of those guys. So his own defense is... Somebody's going to have to step up. Tobias Harris is going to have to be the guy, I think. We're going to have to find somebody like J.J. Redick again to hit the three because they're going to zone this up because Embiid and Harden, their game's going to be pick and roll. Harden's down on his uh, foul shooting. The league rules seem to have changed that he can't quite get all the trips to the free throw line he used to get because he's brilliant at it. You can't cover him one-on-one or Embiid for that matter. But zone defenses, Rivers has not impressed me with his coaching against the zone. So if I'm a coach on the other side, I'm like, okay, Tobias Harris, you got to beat us from three. That's how I see it, guys. And Dick Vermeil's story, I yeah. had the pleasure of sitting next to him at uh, Herb Lusk, used to play for the Eagles, throws a nice dinner and golf tournament every year, and Jim Murray and Dick Vermeil come out. And all I say about Dick Vermeil, he's just a mensch, to use a Jewish word. He's just a class guy, humble, down-to-earth, friendly, accessible, no arrogance whatsoever. And for a major celebrity like that, I've met many in New York City. What a treat. What a decent, decent human being, i got to yeah. say it. Well, Ray, I mean, you, you certainly can speak to that as well as anybody. Yeah. Um, he's, he's the finest person that I've met um, in 50 years in the sports business in terms of just being just, uh, just a good, honest, decent person. You know, a good, honest, caring person who really cares about the people around him. Uh, and um, cares about his organization. And there's no, there's no clearer example of it than the way he took care of Leonard Toes in the later, in the later years of Leonard Toes' life when he had literally lost everything, uh, including his house. Uh, Dick Vermeil took care of him. Up from that point until the day the Leonard Toes passed away, he, you know, Dick Vermeil paid his bills. Dick Vermeil took care of his health insurance. Dick Vermeil got him a place to live. 
who has that kind of loyalty in, yeah. in today's world? Yeah. But that's the kind of person that Dick Vermeil is. So, you know, I mean, the wins are what they are, and he demonstrated that he was a great coach of three different teams, finally won the Super Bowl with the Rams, and it's just a tremendous upset with a quarterback who comes out of nowhere. I mean, a real storybook kind of season. Uh, and now it's all culminated, and it all caps off with a trip to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I, I could not be I could not be more thrilled because yeah, I know because you know I've I've lived with this guy now for going on fifty years, and I yeah. I know I know what kind of a person he is, and um, and he deserves every bit of this. Um, you know I'm going to take another call, but before we get off the air, let let don't let us get off the air today without you telling the story about how Dick Vermeil did not initially think that you were that great. Oh, that's that's certainly true. I know, but I, I I want that story to breathe, so I don't want to rush it. So let's uh, we'll go to Antonio in Douglasville. What's on your mind, Antonio? Hey, Glenn. Uh, yeah, so I saw your tweet yesterday. I liked what you said about Dick Vermeil, and and you listed all those athletes who who the nicest. Yeah, let me um just just for those who who didn't see it, including Ray, who doesn't tweet. I when I, I when we basically Ray, when you were able to line up Dick as a guest yesterday, I just put on a, a put up a tweet, and I just said um, kind of off of what you just said, you know, who are the nicest, classiest Philadelphia sports stars I've ever met, and this list is certainly not exclusive because even after I put it up, I thought of some people said some, but I listed. Bernie Perrant, Reggie White, Charles Barkley, Dale Murphy, Cole Hamels, Charlie Manuel, Jay Wright, John LeClaire, Connor Barwin, uh, Harold Carmichael, and I said right at the top of the list, Dick Vermeil. And again, uh, Ray and I could add many names to that, but that's what I said. So go ahead, Antonio. Yeah, um, yeah so I noticed that list, they were all separated by commas until the end, Harold Carmichael had his own sentence. So I, I wanted to ask if there is any... Yeah, you know yeah, why that it, was? If he's actually the nicest or... No, it was it was only because I... I the punctuation? No, the punctuation is just my mistake, and, and good for you for noticing the grammar. And it's actually because, as the original, when I originally put it up, I wrote Harold Cunningham and didn't notice that that's what I wrote, and so I went back and edited my own work. So, no, make okay. nothing of it, although Harold Carmichael is like Vermeil right at the top of the list. And then, yeah, and I wanted to say about the uh, Olympic hockey team, uh, U- U.S. has been looking pretty good. But you know, something I noticed in the Flyers game, too, like when mm-hmm. the puck goes in the net, the first United States goal they score against China just bounces out so quickly. I feel like the, you used to be able to see the net, like, swoosh around when a goal was scored. Now it's, like, harder That's too to too tight. Well, yeah. I give you credit, Antonio, because you're watching the Olympics. And, Ray, you and I talked about this last week. I know your son is over there shooting it. Right. Your son posted a picture of himself with Sean White. Pretty cool. Right. Are you watching? Um, I'm, I'm watching. the. I'm checking in to watch the figure skating because I know that's what David's shooting. You're watching for the camera work. Yeah, I'm watching the camera work. <laughs> Do you know what camera he's operating? Can you tell? Uh, he's um, he's one of the he's one of the guys along the boards. So he's shooting. He's shooting from ice level. Okay. So he was shooting the Michael Chen, who was just absolutely yeah. magnificent. What a what a tremendous long program he skated. And I'm really happy for him because, you know, he was the guy who was supposed to win four years ago and had a bad Olympics and had to live with it, and then came back this year and just really blew the doors off. I was really happy for him. And David David has been around him now and. Uh, in Beijing and he's been at all the workouts and he's been at the competition and he's gotten to meet him and he said he's really a nice guy and he was kind of rooting for him and he delivered in a big way here. 
So the audience is watching Michael Chen. Are you looking along the boards to see if you can spot that cameraman? Yes. Yes, and? of course. Hmm? And? Uh, yeah. I, I think I saw him the other. I think, in fact, I think I saw him during the Chen routine. I think I, nice. I think I saw him during the Chen uh, long program. Oh, you should be very proud. Oh, I, I am. Good stuff. All right, coming up. Well, we got another segment. We'll grab a call or two. Dick Vermeil, the newest member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, joins us at noon. Right in, your Glenn Mack now on ninety four WIP. Shy Vintage Sports Annual Super Sale is here. Now through Sunday, February 13th, they're taking 30% off all throwback Eagles gear online and in-store. This includes both licensed apparel and originals from local Philadelphia artists. So shop now at shibesports.com or at their store at 13th and Walnut in Center City. Sizes and quantities are limited, so act fast and come visit Shy Vintage Sports where there is a story in every stitch. Right in, your Glenn Mack now, <clears throat> 94 WIP, coming up in just a little bit. Dick Vermeil, newest member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, this is where we check in with our friends from Cooper Bonin. Join Dr. David Gelt is with us today. First of all, Doc, what do you think of the Sixers trade? Uh, good for now, but we'll see how it happens in uh, two years or so. Uh, I think that's but please, exactly please for the time we think. Yeah. yeah, great short-term move. We'll, uh, we're not... We, it's it's uh, Doc, and I know this is something that you would be very familiar with. It's like you're uh, having a torrid romance with the very hot woman, and you know it's probably going to end ugly, but like hopefully it'll be good for a while. You've been through that. Enjoy, enjoy my last, right? There you go. Uh, James Harden comes here with a bit of a hamstring issue. I really can't give you the details. Uh, left hamstring tightness is what it is. I guess my question is, is that the kind of thing that we should anticipate as a recurring problem, or will James Harden's strong adherence to a very good workout program avoid that? Uh, in the past, he's had hamstring issues, I think, almost for his entire career. I think it comes and goes. Some of it, uh, you know, it depends on she wants to play or not. Um but I think uh, hopefully he uh, you know turns over a new leaf and has new uh, people around him, so he's going to want to play. So he'll get back into rehab and uh, come back soon. Ray, I would uh, suggest Ray that the doctor is showing some editorial um, uh, opinion there. Ray. Yes, I, I picked up on that too. Yeah, I did. <laughs> doctor, I wanted... I'm ho- we're hopeful. We're hopeful. Yeah. Okay, that's fair enough. I think we all are. Uh, I wanted to shift focus just quickly to the game tomorrow. Um, Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, tight end is cj zuma and he's uh he's a very good player he's the he's their number three receiver behind the two big wideouts and uh uh he went down with a with a knee injury that looked really bad in the championship game and they carried him off the field and they said he wasn't coming back in that game and he had a sprained mcl and and at that time there was no indication there was any chance he would be able to play in the super bowl and now here he is (laughs) uh and uh he practiced uh, just a little bit um, th- this week, and they said that he's and he said I'm good to go tomorrow. How amazing is it that a guy could have had a significant MCL sprain two weeks ago, and he's going to be ready to play in the Super Bowl tomorrow? What have they had to What have they had to do to get him this ready? Yeah, I mean, uh, it depends on when if he had a study, you know, if it showed him if it was a grade one, two, or three uh, injury. You know, it depends on how severe or significant it was. You know, in fact, he's coming back in a couple weeks. Uh, may not be as severe as we thought initially, which is good. Um, a lot of times, the good thing is because the MCL is sort of outside the knee, doing it actually has a better healing potential than if it was inside the knee. 
Um, he's been being on brace. Uh, he's most likely been doing a lot of rehab, trying to get rid of any inflammation. Um, and then he'll uh, stay in that double hinge brace when he's playing. So hopefully uh, he'll be okay. But usually about two to four weeks is usually the norm. So hopefully he'll uh, he'll be successful and uh, have some input for the uh, for the team. All right, Dr. David Gell, who do you got in the Super Bowl tomorrow? Uh, I think it's going to be the Rams, uh, thirty to twenty-three. Mm, okay, that sounds like an exciting game. I hope. Hopefully not. I think it should be a good one. All right, who are you rooting for? I'm actually rooting for the Bengals. Uh, I think Joe Burrow he's he's been playing really well. It's amazing he came back after an injury from last year. So I'll, for Cincinnati to uh, to come on top, it'd be nice. Nice. All right. Always a pleasure, Dr. David Gelt. All right, guys. Have a good one. Thank right, you, doctor. Well. Ray, tomorrow we'll devote our show to the Super Bowl, but one thing I think is pretty apparent, 90% of the country is rooting for the Bengals. Oh, no question. Sure, they're, right? they're, I mean, that's, that's a great that's underdog story. story. Yeah, yeah. And just one more thing. If there is low interest in this Super Bowl, and I, and I think there is, it's because um, – if you line up the 32 NFL teams from the ones that people care about to the ones they don't, right? They care about the Packers. They care about the Patriots. They care about the Cowboys. They care about the Steelers. They care about the Eagles, right? The mm-hmm. Raiders, uh, maybe the Giants, right? I'm trying to think of the teams that would that kind of have a national following or illicit opinion. At the bottom of the list are the Bengals and the Rams. Well, the Bengals for sure because they've been such a non-factor bordering on a joke now for – for decades, um, but you know they're they're back with a vengeance now. I mean they're they're really good, and um, you know I mean if you look at, I mean the first team and first team in NFL history to have a quarterback pass for four thousand yards, a running back to rush for a thousand yards, and two receivers to, to go over a thousand yards receiving, and they're all under the age of twenty six. Oh, yeah. I'd say that's a team with a very bright future. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but I'm just talking about in terms of national followings, people interested in it. You don't run into a lot of Bengal fans walking around. No, and you don't run into any Ram fans no, even in Los Angeles. Exactly. I mean, the people in Los Angeles don't care. I mean, two weeks ago in the championship game when the Rams were playing at home against the 49ers, Matthew yeah. Stafford had to go to a silent count I to know. get the snap off like it was an away game because there were so, so many 49er fans there. Yep. <laughs> yep. All right, real quick, uh, Ray and I have a charity event uh, coming up this uh, Tuesday. By the way, Mark Zumoff's going to join us as a guest tomorrow. Get to talk some Sixers hoops with Zoo. Uh, and you can have a uh, brew with Zoo. That's what we'll call it. Brews with Zoo. Tuesday night, 630 to 9 at the Puddler's Kitchen and Tap 3 to Calp Street in Bridgeport, right across the bridge from Norristown. Proceeds going to benefit Philadelphia Youth basketball a terrific charity that mark is involved with uh our brewery conchock and brewing company did a collaborative beer with mark zoom off to aid that charity and that beer is going to be featured on tuesday night starting at 6 30 ray dinger is going to be there signing and selling his but what you going to have all of them or just the uh the new one i think i've got? just got the new one finished business finished business is a great book you know what the two best books i read uh in the last six months Finished Business by Ray Dinger and Kobe Bryant. Um, the Rise. The Rise, thank you. Yes. The Rise by Mike Sielski. And Mike is going to be there uh, along with you selling books. Fran Dunphy is going to be there. As I said, Mark Zumoff is going to be your host for the night. I'm going to be there. Uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So join us Tuesday night, Puddler's Kitchen and Tap, 3 to Calp Street in Bridgeport to celebrate and benefit Philadelphia youth basketball. 215 Five nine two ninety four ninety four coming up the Hall of Famer the coach 
Dick Vermeil next on 94 WIP. Well, 15 season coaching in the NFL, 120 wins, took three different franchises, including the Eagles, to the Super Bowl, won it with the Rams in the 1999 season. I looked at the stats last night on Pro Football Reference, and there it was, right at the top, Hall of Famer. Congratulations, the great Dick Vermeil. Coach, thank you so much for being our guest today. Uh, always a pleasure to be with you guys. Yeah. Um, I guess the first question, I'm sure you, you've been asked this, and I guess we get to watch this tonight. Tell us about like, when you got the call or the visit from the hall, when, where, who told you? Well, two weeks ago, Wednesday, uh, Kurt Warner and an entire production crew, about 12 people, showed up at our house at 8 o'clock in the morning out there in the country, <laughs> unbeknownst to me. Uh, our n- number two son had come over to talk financial stuff with us, and Carol had invited our oldest son to come over to have breakfast with her brother, and uh, she knew all this was going on. I had no clue, and the driveway buzzer goes off, and I think it's the UPS guy. So I get up, I'm all getting my work clothes on, and I go outside and walking around beside the garage. There's Kurt Warner in his gold jacket and these 12 people, cameras and microphones. <laughs> I was shocked, absolutely shocked. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that must have been quite. That must have been quite a scene. That must have been really. That must have been really wonderful. I. Um, you knew, I mean, you knew that you were the one coach that was up for uh, up for election this year, and it was a yes right. or no vote on the part of the of the voters. Uh, and at, when you're in that situation, you know, I went through it with Tommy McDonald. I mean, I know it's it's you don't want to get your hopes up too high, but it's something that uh, let's face it, it's a lifetime achievement award, and uh, it's it's probably the highest honor the game can bestow. How was it from the time that you knew you were the guy up until the visit from Kurt Warner? How how much you know? How much angst was there day to day, just wondering if it was really going to happen? You know, uh, obviously we talked about it, but I was very much aware that over the last twenty five years, only ten coaches have gotten in. Now the mechanics have changed, and that. But I thought about it. I thought about how exciting it would be, but I was I was also prepared if it didn't happen because you know I'm a big believer. There's five or six other guys that have records as good or better than mine that really deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. And they might pass up a coach this year and go next year and start over. So, uh, but, you know, obviously I thought I had a very good chance. But uh, <laughs> but when, when Kurt Warner showed up there, boy, I, it's, it shocked me. Yeah. Dick Vermeil is our guest. And, and uh, Coach, we had you um, last year as a guest on Tell Us Your Story. We got your history. But – one of the um, one of the things that's always interesting is you came here from the West Coast. You were a California guy. You were coaching college out there. What was your sense of Philadelphia that first season and and kind of learning this city? Well, you know, no matter how many coaching experiences you've had, the next one at another level is another major step. You know, and you, you gradually learn learn how to handle the organization you're in or the team you're coaching high school, junior college and college. But each level, it takes another adjustment and a learning period. And uh, when I got here, uh, first off, my family was really distressed. Uh, They really didn't want to leave. (laughs) And uh, they voted no, not to go, but I just, I couldn't see turning down this opportunity. George Allen told me to go. Chuck Knox told me to go. Don't turn it down. My coaching staff at UCLA, were the guys that talked me into going over to visit with Leonard after I'd turned down the visit. So, 
you know, I, I recognize it's an opportunity of a lifetime. Now you got to go make something out of it. And we got here, cold, windy day. I'd never ridden in a limo before in my life. All of a sudden, I'm picked up with, at the airport with Leonard Tosa's old Mercedes limo, and off we go. First thing I see is a great big junk pile on the right outside the airport on the right there as you entered the town. I said, wow, this this is an old city. <laughs> and then we had recourse for the press conference and stuff. And then from then on, it was a learning experience every day. You know, I still, I was in the, I was in the room when you came in for that press conference. And I still remember the first words that you said when you got to the podium, the first words that you don't, I don't know if you remember, but I remember the first yeah, words, that, the first words that, yes. that you said when you looked out at all those cameras and all that media there was you said, boy, this is a long way from Hillsdale high school. <laughs> but I mean, it when was you when you oh, boy was it was it ever? But I remember you telling me that when uh, when Jim Murray, who was the general manager of the team, along with Leonard Toes, when they interviewed you out in Los Angeles and tried to convince you to take this job, which you know clearly your family didn't want to do, and you had your own doubts about it. But what Jimmy said was, if you come to Philadelphia, I guarantee you, you will never leave. And it was a tr- and and it, it all came true. I mean, you came here and you coached this football team and you put down roots and now you're as you're as much a Philly guy as anybody I know. Well, thank you. But you know, you can take what Jimmy says to you uh, to the bank. You know, everything he told me and Leonard told me, they did and more beyond whatever they said to me. Okay, so that's why we have a lifelong relationship. And I wish Leonard was alive to. Uh, celebrate within this i know he would probably throw the biggest party in the history (laughs) you know but his granddaughter's involved and we've communicated since it's been announced so uh, you know that's great but yeah philadelphia is as you know ray better because you you've written it you've you've told the story of philadelphia and your last book was just fantastic but uh you know what the people are like once they buy into you uh they may get mad at you you know they may spank you but once they buy in, they stick with you, you know, and they're, I could identify with that attitude. You know, I came out of a working family, a town of 1,800 people. My wife's dad ran the gas station. My dad ran the garage, okay? <laughs> so I'm, I'm used to those kind of people. I have great respect and admiration, admiration for just the everyday hardworking person. And I, I got that feel for Philadelphia right off the bat. Let's talk a little bit about, um, and we do want to we do want to go through your whole career, but just um, the years here because you came into a franchise that was uh, really on hard times, and you had to build a team essentially with no draft picks, uh, certainly in those early years. Dave Vermeil, what was what was the breakthrough? What was the moment uh, with the Eagles that you you came to realize, okay, this is going to work? Well, actually, when that moment occurred, it was the. Fifth game of the season in 1979, Pittsburgh Steelers, world champions, undefeated in Philadelphia, and we beat them. I had given permission to Stan Hockman to join us for the entire week in preparation at all the meetings, and he would leave at midnight because he had to go write a story. So now, all of a sudden, we line up. Keith Crefley catches, catches a touchdown pass. Uh, John Bunning intercepts one and takes it to the one-yard line. Wilbur scores, and we beat the world champions. And from that time on, I think our team, our organization knew we were a solid organization again. And then later that year in November, we flew Monday night game in Dallas and upset Dallas on Monday night and beat them soundly. 
So, you know, we were on our way to being a football team. And it took a while to get there. We, you know, we were in the playoffs our, our third year, but the miracle of the Meadowlands put us in there, really. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but that, that fourth season, we were, we were ingrained. Yeah, they, everyone was believing, including me, my coaches, my players, and the organization. We were on the right track. You know, uh, many, many times I've talked to you about uh, about Calistoga and growing up and the relationship that you had with your dad and working in the garage and, you know, saying that it was your dad's desire that uh, you were just going to stay in the garage and work with him and the garage would then become known as Vermeil and Sons. That was what he had planned for you. <laughs> and you said, uh, no, Dad, I think I want to go coach football. If, uh, if Louie were still around today to see you go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, what do you think his reaction would be? I tell you, he, you know, he never overreacted. <laughs> when you did something well, you may never hear about it. If you did something poorly, you would hear about it. <laughs> Believe me, you would hear about <laughs> it. But anyway, you know, I don't know. He'd be very proud. You know, he didn't ex- express emotion uh, or things like that. It, uh, but I think he, both he and my mom obviously would be very proud. I, I'm just sorry uh, they're not here to share it with me. But they all sort of, especially my mother, they, she, they always sort of expected a lot out of me. And that's why they would get so upset with me if I didn't meet what they expect me to do real well, especially my dad, especially him. He was tough. Well, your mom, I, I remember when you left, when you uh, stepped down from coaching the Eagles in, in 80, after the 82 season, when it just physically and emotionally just became impossible for you to coach anymore and you had to step away. Uh, and you took those 14 years off and you were into broadcasting but away from coaching. Your mom always believed, and she always told you, that one day you would come back and you would win a Super Bowl. She really believed that you were going to do that at some point. Um, and lo and behold, it happened. Yeah, it did. You know, but I know she told me that. She told me that. After my dad died, she kept saying, well, I'm sorry. Uh, dad, I know you'll go back into coaching. That's just you, she said. You know, but anyway. Uh, I'm sure glad I did it. That's why I appreciate so much John Shaw and the Ram organization that got me back there, you know, got me back in it. And, uh, uh, and, uh, and uh, I, did I go there expecting to win the Super Bowl? That, no, I expect to learn how to coach again, you know, and then I got it going and I uh, did it totally different. Ray, as you know, I, I was not my own offensive coordinator. I wasn't calling the plays. I wasn't coaching my quarterback. I had, coordinators, offensive and defensive coordinators. And, of course, at Philadelphia, I had the great Marion Campbell and those guys. But, uh, you know, I did it differently. And I, I got to know the entire organization better. Everybody in the building was more involved in the personnel decision and, and really into it in making the final 51% vote on who we draft and these kind of things. But it allowed me to develop some really good relationships with people all through the building. And they needed that. They needed that. They came to work prior to us getting there to get their paycheck at the end of the week, not to come and make a contribution to winning. And we start, we turned that around really our first year. People were coming to work with a smile on their face when we weren't winning because we knew we were going the right direction and we're working toward it. And uh, obviously then it happened, but I, you know, I had four of those guys who are in the hall of fame, the offensive side and uh, Tory Hope was in the finals this year and didn't get in. So there's, five guys on the offense and then Mike Martz and Mike offensive coaches did a beautiful job and I didn't screw them up. <laughs> um, I have just a, a couple of quick questions. You, you said your father, you talked about your father is not emotional. You've been known to be emotional and I know you've, you've oh, yeah. yeah, you've, you know, you've laughed about it yourself. 
Um, when you, what do you anticipate when that moment comes at Canton uh, this coming summer? Um, they're gonna, they'll have the bust of you. You'll be up there. It'll be time to talk. Um, are we gonna see that, that Dick Vermeil that we know and love? Well, you can only be yourself, okay. And and I learned over the years to don't be embarrassed being who you are. Be authentic. Be real. And I, and I think in many ways it's helped me with my players. But my players know me. They has my ass out there, and they know me inside out and backwards. But I, you know, in my first thoughts right now, to be honest with you, is not talk much about my own family, because if I do that, I'll be a mess. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm tearing up now. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, no, I very little on that, and then get into the real specifics of uh, why I'm there, because you know, I've been so fortunate to be surrounded by so many fine coaches. And, uh, you know, Bud Carson, Marion Campbell, Fred Bruni, Jim Hannibal, Mike Morris, Al Sa- these guys, coach. And then later, turning uh, uh, Carl Hurston and Wilbert Montgomery and John Bunning into coaches, you know. And uh, uh, they, they've they just done an unbelievable job. Now, uh, yes, I've, I'm the boss and all that kind of stuff, but uh, they are just a, a huge percentage of our success. And then, you know, then the players, God, you know, and uh, people always talk to me since I've been here and it's been announced I'm going to the Hall of Fame. Everyone's talking about what a great relationship you have with your players. Well, I always felt it was my obligation to pay back to those guys what they did for me. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember um, I remember when you when you did win it with the Rams and you were on the you were on the platform at the end of the game, and they handed you the trophy. Um, you held the trophy up, and you said on television to everybody, uh, you said, I hope, that the, I hope that the guys who played for me in Philadelphia understand that, that I'm thinking of them, and they're a part of this too. Uh, and that, for those guys, and believe me, they were all watching. All, they were scattered far and wide, <laughs> but they were all watching. Uh, and that meant the world to them, that, that, that at that particular moment, um, that you were thinking of them. But I thought it was just so typical of, of you and your unique approach to this and how much the players and how much the players that, that you that played for you, how much they meant to you. Uh, not just the team you were coaching that day, but the, but the guys you had coached all time. That was really a wonderful moment. Well, yeah, thank you. I remember it, you know, and it, it was real, you know, and you don't plan to say that. How do you know you're going to win the game when, when you're playing? Game down to the last play of the game sometimes the most spontaneous things you say unedited are the best things you say, you know, and uh, I've said some things I shouldn't have said many times, but uh, that was from my heart and I felt it. Last question. Uh, do you know yet who you're going to have as your presenter? Yes. Carl Peterson's going to present me as Ray knows. Carl took this project of getting Dick Vermeil nominated and then into the hall of fame under his wings. And he, he talked to a lot of people. They organized and I, you need an advocate today. You need an advocate. And, and he really did it. You know, he was with me as a kid at UCLA. I brought him with me to Philadelphia uh, as a tight end coach and administrative assistant. You know, he's got a PhD and he's a lot smarter than me. And he could help me with all these other things. And then I moved him to personnel then he, and Jimmy really said he helped Jimmy like an assistant general manager because Jimmy had his hands full just being the, the president of the team with Leonard and everything like that. And, uh, 
and he did a wonderful job. And then, you know, I, I, uh, I, I bring him to Philadelphia here and he, he does a great job. And then he coaches the stars, does a you know, builds that program, does a guard. He wanted me to go to Kansas city with him uh, when he went, I wouldn't go. Unfortunately, <laughs> hired Marty Martin shot, Martin Schottenheimer, who really belongs in the hall of fame, 20 seasons. My God, uh, a uh, beautiful, beautiful football coach. Twenty-four seasons, in fact. But uh, uh, I didn't go, and I, I broadcast his preseason games mm-hmm. uh, until I went back into coaching. So you know, we're sort of hooked at the hip, and uh, I, I'm proud to have him represent me. That's great. And it also takes the pressure off me of deciding what player I would have present me. Right. If not Carol, Carol's going to, to present me with my gold jacket. Oh, that's wonderful! It's pretty special. That's wonderful. I can't wait. I can't wait, Dick. I can't wait to see. I can't wait to see it go down. And I think you know how much the people in the city and the fans and everyone here have, how great they feel uh, about you receiving this honor. It's a uh, it's a beautiful thing, and it's well deserved. And I'm so happy this happened for you. I, I like the way you express that. Thank you, Ray. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Coach Vermeil, always thanks for joining us, and congratulations from Ray and from me and from an entire city on this. Thank you. Take care. All right. Yeah, you be well. There you go. Ray, he got emotional. It's it's so great. And and I know how much it means for you because you've had a, a very good relationship with him for all these years. He's he's a friend to you and, and um you know, you've been one of his advocates. Are you gonna try to get out there for that? I'm gonna to try to. Yeah. I de- I definitely definitely want to be there for yeah, that. Yeah. yeah it's you uh um <laughs> I've been You're I, getting emotional. I yeah, I am. I am. I, I really I I really um uh, He's a really special guy, you know. Um, I told him one time, I said, you know, just covering your team, just being around your team, I wasn't even part of the team. I mean, I'm a reporter. I mean, I'm on the fringes, you know. Uh, But just being around you and around those players every day for all those years and seeing what you guys put into this uh, and just watching the way you treated people and treated your players, I, I said, you made me better. I mean, you know, I can only imagine the I can only imagine the impact he had on the lives who, of the guys who were actually played for him. His player, I can only imagine how profoundly he affected them because I wasn't even part of the team and he affected me. I mean, he made he made me better. He made me more conscientious. I always felt, and this this is true. This is a true statement. When I was covering the team, and I'm writing for the, I'm writing for the Philadelphia Bulletin. Uh, I'm working for the Bulletin. I'm not working for the Philadelphia Eagles, but. I always felt like I had to give my best effort every day when I sat down to write a story because I felt I, I saw the way he and those players were working and what they were given, and I felt like I couldn't give any less. So in, in, a, lot of, in a lot of ways, he had impact on me and how I went about my job without even realizing it. He was coaching me and didn't even know it. So the, our relationship is it's a deep one, and it goes back a long way. And, uh, you know, I, I – I always knew that it was it was going to be as he said. There's only been ten coaches put in the Hall of Fame. It's not that it's not that common. So I always I always felt that he belonged, and I hoped I hoped that it would happen. And I'm now that it has, I'm I'm really really happy for him. And I would I would very much like to go out to Canton and see it actually happen because I think it's going to be his speech. I think is going to be one for the ages. Ray, that was really profound. Uh, I tell you what, let, let's take a let's take a quick break. Uh, that was that was all very emotional. Uh, Dylan and Enzo, hang in. I will get you guys coming right up. 
Anybody else wants to join, we'll get some calls, 215-592-9494. Thanks to Dick Vermeil for joining us. Ray Dinger and Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Ray Dinger, uh, Glenn Mack now. Really appreciate uh, Dick Vermeil joining us, making the Hall of Fame. We mentioned Art McNally earlier makes it um, uh, local official. Ray, I was going to get the list. You know what? We can do that tomorrow. Um and we'll certainly discuss a lot of Super Bowl tomorrow. Before we get to the callers, real quickly, because I teased this earlier, and and both you and Coach Vermeil really spoke of the depth of your relationship and the respect you have for each other, and that is really great. Um, not often the case between coach and uh, writer, but initially, he didn't think that much of you. Uh, no, we we had our differences <laughs> in 1976. Um, understandable, understandable. It wasn't really personal. Uh, he, um, um, you know, they weren't a very good team, frankly, in 1976. That was the situation that he stepped into. Uh, and, uh, I was a reporter for the Philadelphia Bulletin covering that team every day. And I just, you know, in, in my writing, I just basically wrote that this was not a very good team and it hadn't been. I had been covering this since 1970. They hadn't been a winning team at, at any point there. They were a 500 once a year. Every other year they were a loser. And 76, they were, they were down at the bottom again, and they were a team at the bottom with no draft picks. So, you know, I was every day when I sat down to write, not because I wanted to, but I, I kind of painted a pretty bleak picture of where they were. Uh, and, uh, and, one, and Dick, I could tell Dick was very annoyed. Uh, and... One day he finally pulled me aside after practice, and uh, and he said um, he said you're he said you're undermining my team, and uh, I said I, I'm not sure I understand what you're talking about. And he said, well I I spend all day here on the practice field with these guys trying to build them up and trying to build their confidence and and make them feel like they can go out and they can compete and win games in the National Football League. That's my job as coach. And he said, and then they go home and they read your story, what you're writing in the paper, and you're telling them the, the exact opposite. I spend all day building them up, and then you tear them down. Uh, and I said, well, you know, you just said it. I mean, it's your job as the coach to build them up, and it's my job as a reporter to just write what I see. And what I see is a team, and I remember, I remember saying this. I said, you, what I see is a team that's going to be lucky to win four games. And that's exactly what they won. Oh, Ray. That's exactly what they won. Wow, year, in way. his face, Ray. Uh, well, no, I, I, but I, I wasn't being personal. I mean, I just, I, I just had to be honest. I mean, he was, he, believe me, he was being straight up honest with me, and I felt like, okay, I, then I have to be straight up honest with him. And I said, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to tear you down. I'm not trying to tear the team down. I'm just, you know, the paper pays me to come out here and, and write what I see, and, and right now I see a team that's, as I said, lucky to win four games, and, um, and you know, we, he said, <laughs> I still remember him saying. So I don't understand you. He said, the writers that covered my team out at UCLA, he said, they, they just wrote good stories. He said, it was like, it was, he said, he said it was like they were, he said it was like they were part of the team. They were, they were rooting for us was what yeah. he said. And I said, Dick, I don't think they were rooting for you. He, I said, here's the, here's the difference. I said, number one, that was college football. This is the NFL. Number two, that was LA. This is Philly. It's different there too. And the other part of it was in UCLA, you had a really good team. And here you don't. I said, that's, I said that you can't compare the two situations. I said, I'm just, you know, I said, the one thing you'll learn about me over time uh, is that I'm an honest person. And if, if you turn this team around, and Lord knows, nobody wants to see you turn it around more than I do because I'm tired of writing about teams that can't, can't win. Um, 
I will, I'll be more than happy to write, write that you have turned this team around and that they have a chance to win. And, you know, he sort of, he sort of just said, I'll go write what you want. And he just sort of stormed off. And, um, and then three years later, when they actually did turn the team, team around, I remember wrote a story from training camp one day, and I ran it in the Sunday paper, the Sunday bulletin. And I remember writing a paragraph that was to the effect that, you know, this is the first time in all the years I've been covering this team that I can actually write about this team having a chance to make the playoffs and not feel foolish in doing it. I remember writing that. Yeah. And like three days later, I get this handwritten letter in the mail on Eagle Stationery from Dick Vermeil saying, um, basically, um, you know, I remember our conversation from three years ago, and I see now that you are an honest person, and, uh, um, and I respect you for that. And from that point on, our relationship was good, and it's only gotten better. That's great. Really nice story. Terrific. Uh, I mean, he's, he, is, he is a great, great guy. He, yeah, he, he is, is really a decent a person. person. And, and as I said, he had, he had a profound impact, not just on the guys that he coached, but he was coaching me without even realizing it. It really was, it really was, I mean, he's been one of the most influential people in my life. That's great. That's great. Well, you definitely got to get to Canton. Uh, Dylan in Williamstown, you're on with Glenn and Ray. How are you? Good morning. I just, I can't get into these shirts from Shy Vintage Sports. Every time I get my wrist fabric caught on a banister, the, the frayed stitching begins to disrobe and light a marble southern cut and deliver excerpts from 19th century Spanish novella Fearless by Doug Peterson. <laughs> Weird. Wow. Well, there Weird you go. Weird stories. Uh, I'm also coming out with a uh, coming-of-age film. It's called uh, Licorice. Uh, Dick Vermeule and Ray Dittinger's Rocky Start ends on a good note with Eagle Stationery. There you go. That would well, work. I'll, I'll be looking forward to that one. Wasn't sure we was going to take it after that, Ray. I figured took our chances with two bad jokes. Didn't want to go for a third. Mm-hmm. I think that was probably wise. Okay. Uh, Enzo in Westchester, you're on with uh, Ray and Glenn. Hey, Enzo. Good afternoon, guys. Is this clear, or should I take it off my Bluetooth? You should take it off your Bluetooth and come directly to the phone, because the story we have is you actually cooked dinner for Dick Vermeule. Yes. Uh, one sec. Is that better? Yes. Yes, Thank much. You. Okay. How are you guys? <clears throat> Man, that prior quality, I think you made the right choice there. Dick, if you're still listening, uh, I'm still waiting for you to run for governor of PA because you got my vote. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. how good of a, of a gentleman and person this guy is. So I'll give you a, a, a mini tell us my story, so to speak, for you guys. Me and a, a buddy of mine, his father did evictions for a living. And way back in the day, Wilbert Montgomery was going through some issues. Taxes, the ex-wife was supposed to be handling it, and she wasn't, and in Wilmington, he had a home, and it was evicted. And in that home were belongings, one being a Super Bowl, uh, the NFC Championship ring, his jersey, a couple other items. And we had them in a Tupperware container, not Tupperware, uh, a big Rubbermaid container. My buddy's father had them for years, and um, we would always look at it. And I opened a restaurant with my father in '04. We were sitting at the bar, me and my buddy, one night, just talking, and he said, we were talking sports, and we somehow we got on the subject of Wilbert and he he said, we should try and get that stuff back to Wilbert. And I said, you, you know what? You're right. So over the course of a month or two, we were trying to figure out how to get it back to him. And then I thought of looking up Dick Vermeil in the yellow pages because we still use them in 05. Um, 
and his number was in there. He lived in Unionville, had a house in Unionville, close to our restaurant at the time. And I left a voicemail. He did respond. Two days later, I got a phone call back, and he said, Enzo, I would love to help you, but I would rather give those belongings myself to him in person. So he set up a time for him and Wilbert to meet me at the restaurant and my buddy and my buddy's father and all sit down for dinner. We did that, and it went great. Wilbur couldn't make it, and he gave his apologies, which was fine. We were just ecstatic to get the belongings back, sure. and then we were saying, wow, we're going to meet Dick Vermeule on top of it and Wilbur. Meeting Dick alone was enough. Yeah. Um, I remember I cooked him uh, mussels, mussels in a red sauce, spicy over linguine. That was his favorite dish. <laughs> <laughs> and he was just getting into the wines with Vermeule wines back then. I did a, did a couple events for him with Vermeule wines. I know he remembers. He, he's a great guy. That's my story. And uh, you know what? I'll tell you even a better part of that story that day. So you got to tell he us quick because we got we really got to run. So tell it in uh, quick 15 seconds. Yeah, uh, I forget the name of the kicker. I want to say Morton Anderson in Kansas City. When he was coaching Kansas City, they were in the playoffs. And he iced uh, his own kicker. And after the game, they were asking questions. He told us a story. They were asking me questions. Why would you ice your own kicker, Dick? And he said, well, I, he, I, I wanted to tell him about this bottle of wine I had for him because he was a big wine lover like I was. And I told him, if you make this kick, the bottle's yours. <laughs> and he got, he got fined from the NFL, but he said he got tons and tons of bottles of wine showing up at his door every day after that. And did Anderson story. make the kick? He did. <laughs> there you go. Enzo's great story. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, nobody has a – I mean, any, any run-in anybody has ever had with Dick Vermeule is a pleasant experience. It's true. Ever. That's true. So. Hey, I want to take a, a, just a couple minutes. We'll get back to the phones, but we, we have not talked about the Super Bowl. Um, as I said earlier in the show, I don't think there's a ton of interest in this year's Super Bowl from a fan perspective as a game, just because neither of these teams has a really big following, right? The Bengals are a scrappy young team who nobody expected to be where they are with a brilliant young quarterback and, and very fun to watch. I mean, Ray, I would argue that the, the – I don't want to say they're MVP, but – the guy who's responsible for them being there is their kicker over these games. He's been yeah. incredible. Yeah, he's been he's been he's been absolute money in the postseason. No question yeah. about that. Uh, and the Rams are teams that have a, a pretty good number of stars, uh, starting with Aaron Donald, who's the best player, best defense player in the NFL in recent years. Um, I just want to you know clear out for two or three minutes and and kind of let you set it up so that we're not doing it all tomorrow. Just give me the the quick you know preview your your two-minute preview of the game short um, version yeah i think that uh, it's i think it's a very interesting i think it's a very interesting matchup i i really do um and it's what's what's interesting about it is is the momentum you have going into it because you have it's been a great postseason for the pro football i mean you look at the at the games um they've been really really good i mean the you know the, the weekend of the four games they were all they were all great i mean they're all great uh, and then, then the championship games were great as well. So you're on a run of really good football leading into the climactic game, and you just hope that this one is at least equal to, if not better than those. Uh, so I, th I think interest is peaking a little bit. You're right, the two teams themselves don't have uh, a whole lot of national cachet, but I don't think that matters. I think the matchup, if you just look at the two teams and you match them up as football teams, I think it's pretty attractive. I think it's going to be a pretty high-scoring game. Uh, you have two teams that have dynamic passing games and secondaries that are not that good. Uh, so that, that in itself should lead to a lot of big plays and, 
uh, some high scoring. And you have, uh, you know, two very different quarterbacks. You have, as you said, Joe Burrow, who's this brilliant young quarterback who's just starting his career and is already, I mean, he's won a national championship in college, won the Heisman Trophy. He was the first overall pick in the draft, and here he is one win away from a Super Bowl. I mean, he's had a career in three years, basically. Yeah. And then yeah. you've got Matthew Stafford, who, who languished in the purgatory that is Detroit for, for the better part of the decade, and now finally has his chance to go to a real team with a chance to win. So he's a great story in his own right. Um, I think it's going to. I think it's going to be a fascinating game from an X's and O's standpoint. I think it's really fascinating, and I do want to see. You know, you got Aaron Donald, and you said best defensive player in the NFL. I agree with that. I think that he is um, seven-time All-Pro, uh, has accomplished everything that someone can accomplish on an individual basis. The only thing he hasn't done is win a Super Bowl. So there's a, a lot of great story angles here, and I think you're going to have a really good football game. We can, you know, we can, we'll get into the X's and O's more tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Tomorrow we'll I, break I, down I, each unit and so on, and yeah, yeah. But I don't know if you saw, there's, they're, they're expecting a record amount of money to be bet on this game. They're expecting $8 billion to be, well, to be bet on this game. That shouldn't surpri- First of all, it shouldn't surprise us because betting is now legal in most places, right? And, and much more of people's consciousness than it was. I mean, 10 years ago, if you wanted to bet on the game, you had to find the bookie down the street to do it or be in one of whatever, two states. Right. Now you can bet anywhere and, you know, you don't have to leave your house. You can bet on your cell phone. Yeah. Uh, and now also you can bet on so many options, right? You can, you can bet on the game and you can bet on the point spread and you can bet on the over-under. But you can bet on, you know, is, is, is the quarterback going to have more than two touchdowns? Is the national anthem going to last more than 90 seconds? Yeah, you can, bet what, you, you, can literally, you can literally bet on what color shoes Snoop Dogg is going to wear at halftime. Hey, what do you got? Hmm? What do you got? Um, right now, gold is the favorite. <laughs> okay. Last time I looked, gold was 5-2. Uh, to two. See, those ones are scary because, of course, Snoop Dogg can manipulate. Of course he can. Yeah, of course he can. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. But but the previous record was last year. The betting was three point three billion. Wait, you now said ten this year? It, no, it's eight. So oh, you eight, eight. so well, you've more yeah, so you've more than doubled the previous high. Wow. Yeah. Well, there you go. This is this is where the world is headed, and you know what? The sports leagues who pushed it away for so so long, boy, do they embrace it now. Oh yeah. Yeah, I remember the days that Jimmy the Greek couldn't even mention the word point spread yes. on the CBS pregame show. Yes. Couldn't yes. even now say I the have word. the Manning brothers and Drew Brees and everybody else telling me who I should bet with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I know. Different world. Very much so. 215-592-9494. We'll grab some more callers before we turn it over to Go Birds Radio. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. And it is time for me to tell you that uh, I got to make sure I got the right read. I do. President's Day right around the corner. You know what that means. Summer is coming. Well, I hate this. Actually, it's not cold. It's nice out. But still, I wish it was warmer. And right now you can save big at United Tire and Service. That's right. Your favorite brands like Michelin, BF Goodrich, and more on sale. Make it the right time to buy. That's now through March 7th, so come in, meet the team, get excellent service. United Tire delivers value and expertise. You can trust you're getting the best deal on the industry's most trusted tires. Tell them Glenn sent you. Remember, don't drive alone, drive United. With Ray Dinger, I'm Glenn Macknow, 94 WIP. 
Super Bowl tomorrow. We'll do a lot of Super Bowl talk tomorrow. It was really a pleasure to have Dick Vermeil and Ray. A lot of people want to uh, want to share Vermeil's story, so let's see if we can get a few of them on. Okay. Stephen Westchester is first. Hello, Steve. Hi. How you doing, guys? Um, Hello, Steve. Um, Ray, I studied that team in '76, and uh, you know it, he was voted the number two voted motivational coach behind Vince Lombardi uh, in an NFL film segment, and. The story I want to tell you happened in 1981 at Valley Forge Motor Lodge. Uh, was, there was a car convention there. Um, so I walk in there. I get his autographs. He was pretty happy. It was a week after the Super Bowl. Bill Berge was there too, right? So I call him back in about 30 years, and I said, you know, Dick, with everything you put into it, that particular um, you know, game, you you were pretty well like relieved and you you know you had a good good attitude and well anyway coach took off on me <laughs> he said well you know it's only a game and you know you have to overcome that Joe's you know well, Ron played like the best you know he did his best I did my best and you know and he I, I don't know he may may have taken it the wrong way but you know um, I always want to tell you, coach you know I was just like really really impressed with the way you. You know, overcame that. That that's the only thing you know that 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 I wanted to tell him. But um, Ray, I mean, I mean, what do you what do you think about that? I mean, um, you, you know, well, he did, generally didn't. You know, uh, he held it with him, and you would know better than me. But mm-hmm. what do you think? Well, when you when you talk to him, this was '81, off of the championship game, so it was still pretty fresh. I think the wound was still pretty fresh. That's uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, he I, was cool about he was cool about it back then, right? He, right. That, that's what I'm saying, and I didn't think you know he would be at the time, you knowing him more than me. Oh yeah, well, it, it was it was it was that was a tough that, that was a very tough time for him for the whole organization uh, because everybody kind of expected that they were going to win that game. They were the favorite going in. They had played the Raiders during the regular season and beaten them. Um, the Raiders were playing with a backup quarterback, Jim Plunkett. He wasn't supposed to be the starter, but he was. Um, and everything sort of pointed towards the Eagles winning. They had played, they had just really played a great game against the Cowboys to win the NFC Championship. And the Raiders were coming in as the first wild card team to make it to the Super Bowl. So everybody, you know, nationally, everywhere, they were just kind of assuming that the Eagles were going to win. And the Eagles were like a touchdown favorite. And frankly, they were never in the game. I mean, it was it was the worst game they played all year, and they played it at the worst possible time. So the narrative was always, uh, and I wasn't in town at the time. I watched the Super Bowl on TV like most other people. But the narrative was that the Eagles were tight, and Vermeil kept them in the hotel, and they practiced so much, and that the Raiders went out and enjoyed Bourbon Street, and therefore they were loose and they won. I don't know if that's true or legend what's your take on why it happened uh, i think there were a couple of factors i think number one which to be frank i was there i had been nobody was closer to that team than i was uh and i didn't see it coming uh i thought that they would beat the raiders and i thought they might beat them easily but the two things that happened uh looking back on it uh, number one i really do think that emotionally they put everything they had into the dallas game that they played their super bowl at the vet in beating the cowboys uh, and that was a team that played – they weren't the most talented team, but they played an awful lot on emotion. Yeah. Uh, and they just didn't have a whole lot left. I mean, all of that stuff, they, they, they brought it out in, against the Cowboys. And then after that, they couldn't quite get back to that same emotional pitch for the Raiders. And 
the other part of it was I think that the Raiders were a team that had been to the Super Bowl before, a lot of those guys, uh, and they knew how to handle it better than the Eagles had. The Eagles had, I don't think there was anybody on that team that had been to a Super Bowl before. So it was all new to them. The Raiders had kind of been there before, and I think the idea that they were out on Bourbon Street and all was a little bit overblown. But I think what was very true was the Raiders team and the Raiders coaching staff, they had been through the Super Bowl before and knew how to handle that week better than the Eagles did. And the combination of the two things, and the game got off to a bad start. You know, Jaworski's first pass is intercepted. The Raiders get a touchdown right away. It's 7 nothing, and you're playing uphill. You know, and it just um, they just never really got their footing in that game. And sometimes it happens, and yeah. it, it, unfortunately it happened for them that day. Yeah, you want a do-over on that one, but you don't get a do-over. It's not best of seven in the NFL. No. You get one shot at it. Yeah, yeah. Bernie in Lawrenceville is with us. Hey, Bernie. Hi, uh, Glenn and Ray. Um, I just wanted to mention a, a story about uh, about Coach Vermeil that I bet uh, I didn't know until the last minute, so to speak, um, that it was going to happen. And it was um, my my son went to the University of New Haven, and he was uh, and he graduated with a degree in fire science. And uh, he had to, he had to he had to always work he had to work hard like I did in school. I remember I had a coach way back when in high school, who uh, the, the phrase that he that he told me stuck with me. It says, "If you work hard and persevere, you will succeed." And that's why I think embodied it really helped me in my life, and I think it also I instilled that in my son and helped him in his life. But I think that's what Dick Vermeil was all about. I mean that that's that he brought a team that Philadelphia Eagles weren't relevant since 1960 before that, mm-hmm. and now he brought them to to relevance and, and 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 to success, and so then lo and behold, when my son was graduating, he was picked as their commencement speaker, and, and so I get my my Vince Papali jersey on and I, I go with, with my son and my wife and and at the at the at the commencement speech and it was such an inspirational speech. It such had such an important message for these kids who were graduating at that time in, in 2008, and it really it really was so inspiring. And that's why I think for me, I'm so glad to see that he got into the hall because that's the kind of person, kind of coach that really deserves that type of of accolade. Yeah. So that's... it was just so neat to hear your interview because it was a great interview with Coach Vermeil. So I just want to compliment well, you. We on that. Thank you, Bernie. Thank you, and and thank you for the story. Yeah. So he is his, he is he is an inspirational person. Yeah. I mean if you if you're if you're around him uh any length of time uh and you get to know him, he is he is truly inspiring. He that is a very good word for him. So let's project forward to when the day comes in Canton, that speech. Uh we're, we're talking early August is when they do this, right? Yeah, it's usually the first week of August. Okay. Uh what's the speech gonna be? Uh, you know, we joked with him and he he fully kind of embraced that he's going to be very emotional oh he oh god yes yeah i know i mean the tears will be shed mm-hmm. um but uh, it sounds to me like he's going to work in a lot of people oh yeah i mean you're talking about a guy who literally to this day calls calls the guys who played for his high school team the guys who, pl- who played for him at hillsdale high school he'll just randomly pick up the phone and call them and just how you doing I mean, and not just the guys that played for him in the Eagles. He does that, too. The guys who won a Super Bowl for him at the Rams, he does that, too. The guys who won a Rose Bowl for him at, uh, at UCLA, he does that, too. But he, call, he calls the guys who played for him at Hillsdale High School yeah. just to see how they're doing. 
So I, you know, <laughs> he will. Gonna, yeah, and he will. He will going to be in their mid seventies. He's right? going to. Yeah, and he's going to start. He's going to start naming all of those guys, and a lot of those names are. You know, some of them people will know, and some of yeah. them they won't. But the fact Josh is, they, Mendrick, they all class of forty eight. But they all mean the world to Dick Vermeil, yeah. and they're all going to be part of his day in Canton. I can't wait. I think it's going to be great. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, you and I started a conversation. You saying, like, yeah, I think I'm going to try to get there. There can be, I mean, short of an outbreak, Ray, you got to be there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I I, I intend to be. You're an esteemed member. Your name is in that Hall of Fame. You're on a (laughs) plaque. I saw it. We went there together. We saw that plaque. Yeah, I assume it's still there. Who knows? (laughs) <laughs> well, you think it's I like always, the Stanley listen, Cup? Every, when, when I, they I, rotate the rings when, every forty-five years, they when, take them off. I never, I don't know, but I, I know every time I go back, I I make a point of going to seeing if it's still there, and it is. Yes, it's still there. By the way, the, you know the just as an aside, the Stanley Cup they do after a certain number of years, those rings come off. Yeah, I didn't know that until like a year or so ago. Yeah, because they I can't keep said, growing what? it. Yeah, right? I, it makes sense, but I never thought about that. Yeah, and uh, I think the ring that the Flyers are on is like two or three years away. They're, they have been so futile for so long, they may disappear from the cup. Well, that's one thing. Just as long as it, you know, I, what bothers me is they're disappearing from the building. Yeah, well, that too. That too. All right, well, listen, this has uh, been a ton of fun. And it was really fun uh, talking in, about uh, James Harden and the Sixers trade and then the back end of the show uh, talking about Dick Vermeil. Ray and I will be back tomorrow uh, and we'll talk about um, all of those things. Uh, let's find out from Dan Wilson. We had a couple good callers today, two really top ones early. Dan, tough choice for you. Yeah, it was a tough choice, but I'm going with Rodney in East Mount Airy. He had a very passionate call about the departure of Ben Simmons and a uh, He's going to be our winner today. That's good. Rodney wins a $50 gift card to Scheib Vintage Sports, where there is a story in every stitch. Congratulations to him. We will get that out to him. Uh, Ray, in addition, one more time, I just want to mention that on Tuesday night, we got a, a really nice charity event, and I always appreciate, Ray, your willingness to get in the car on a February night and come out, although the weather's supposed to be nice. Uh, you and Mike Sielski will be signing and selling your books uh, Mark Zumoff will be the main host, and it's a charity event at Puddler's Kitchen and Tap 3 to Calp Street in Bridgeport to benefit Philadelphia youth basketball. A really good cause. Conchalkin Brewing Company, which I'm a part of, put out a collaborative beer with Zumoff called Zooisms, which, by the way, Ray, is a 5.2% crushable hazy IPA. Money from each sale benefits Philadelphia Youth Basketball. Can I get you, Ray, at least to take a little bit of a taste on Tuesday night, just uh, a sip? No, probably not. Okay. How many beers have you had in your life? Two and a half. And you're and that's you're sticking at that? Yeah, two and a half, both on Round it up to three, on, maybe? Yeah, you know, yeah. give you eight ounces. I, no, I think not. Uh, well, but I'm looking forward to, but I'm looking forward to the evening. I'm looking yes, forward to the, I'm looking forward to the company. I think it's going to be a fun night. It's going to be a really fun night. I think Fran Dunphy told me he's going to come out working on a couple other people. But Zoo. People who love Mark Zuma for all those years is kind of the guest of honor for the night. And he's going to join us tomorrow, Ray, at 11 o'clock. Talk some Sixers basketball, which will be a great time. Uh, all right, Ray, I will talk to you then. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I want to thank Dan Wilson for producing Go Birds Radio coming up with Elliot and James. Stay tuned. Ray and I will see you tomorrow right here on 94 WIP. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island 
Jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles, and Toyota has them, with more coming in. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone, whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future. In vehicles and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position today is electrified diversified empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you. A hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyond zero. Toyota, let's go places.